0: If you are in Sydney or Melbourne, listen up, because we have some exciting news for you. Listen.
1: Yeah, listen. Saturday, July. Melbourne, we are doing Do Go On The Quiz Show live one night only or one afternoon only, part of the Replay Festival at Comedy Republic on Saturday, July 6th at 3 p.m. This is 2024. And then the next weekend in Sydney, we are going out for a live Do Go On podcast at the fabulous Ritz Cinema on Saturday, July 13th at 3 p.m. Also 2024.
2: Yeah, 2024, yeah. Listen.
1: Yeah. Listen. Listen. Hey, Ugh. and get tickets. Buy ticket at Come tickets on. At dogoonpod.com. Com. Come.
2: Let's start. Do-
1: Hey everyone, before we get to the thrilling conclusion of World War One, I, I am here to tell you that we are doing four live shows at the end of March and into April. I'm talking Sunday, March 28, April 4, April 11, and April 18 at the European Beer Cafe. And I've got to tell you, they're not the only live podcasts that some of us will be doing. Ooh. That's right. Matt and I have just announced that we will be doing our first ever and possibly only ever live podcasts of our spin off shows, Primates and Book Cheat. And uh, they are both happening on Sunday, April four. Matt. You've got some fantastic guests lined
2: up for your 2pm show. Yes. We've got the Dream Team is what the listeners came to call it. Or did I start calling them that? <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> uh, but the Dream Team of Evan Munro-Smith, classic second banana, Nick Maso-Mason from the Weekly Planet, and Cass... Pagey Page <laughs> from Sans Pants Radio.
0: Oh, that's a good lineup. Such
2: a good lineup. So it's going to be so much fun. Mesa's already suggested we get gorilla suits. I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> he, he did say that that would probably blow the budget. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> <laughs> who cares?
1: Maybe. If budget, smudge it. That's what I say.
2: anyone's got an in at a gorilla costume shop,
1: mm. hit me up. <laughs> Uh, and that's at two o'clock. Then at four fifteen, I'll be doing a live book cheat. Guests to be confirmed, but we will be wearing uh, costumes made of ham, <gasps> which is a uh, little reference to the Tequila Mockingbird episode. Anyway, and um, <laughs> yeah, I'll be going through a, a book with some fantastic guests—people that you know and love well—and uh, yeah, so you can get tickets to those shows as well as our podcast at 8.30 that same night and in between Matt's doing his stand-up show so you literally can see four shows of ours basically back-to-back with a couple of meal breaks in the middle.
0: Oh my god that's either a dream
1: or a nightmare I can't decide. Come with
2: this on this dream nightmare
1: <laughs> Get your hand costumes ready and we'll see you there. Hello and welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. I'm Jess Perkins.
2: Hello, I'm Matt Stewart.
1: (laughs) We'll hear more from those couple of larrikins in just a second. But beforehand, if this is your first time ever listening to this show, I suggest you listen to last week's episode because this is a part two. But anyway, we take it in turns to report on a topic often suggested by a listener and um, it's Matt's turn to report on the topic Ooh. Ooh. this Matt, week. Matt, Matt, Oh, no, no, no. Yes, we always up. start with a question and the answer is World War I. No, uh, I
0: wanted to get the point. Yeah,
1: I knew you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, what is your question? To but s- he
0: didn't ask a question. He didn't ask a question. Damn
1: it. De-
2: and I'm, I locked I'm locked the down. The question is, what is this week's episode part two of? World War One? Correct.
0: Fuck you, Dave.
1: Honestly, if you're keeping score out there, which I know one of you is, um, half a point each? No.
0: It'd
2: be nice to see because they're the judge. We fully leave that up to them. So whatever they say goes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we never fact check their scoring. Yeah, that. Um, Yeah, so this is the part two. That's right. We finished last week with the US entering the war. Mm. So we got through a a lot of stuff last week. Um, And really, from what I've read... The U.S. entering was one of the massive turning points of the whole war. Yeah. Uh, and people I, I asked people for uh, feedback over the, the last few days since the first episode came out. And I think you're foolish for doing so. <laughs> oh, well, I, I did feel that way. But nearly everyone was really positive, which was nice. Um, I've got a couple of little extra tips. And um, so I'm going to do a quick backtrack because someone mentioned this. I didn't uh, write their name down a Apologies for that, but I thought it was pretty interesting. But anyway, so to start this episode, I'm going to go right back to the start. Uh, in a way, I guess it helps recap how it all kicked off as well. <laughs> Please tell me you're just going to do the whole we're thing. We're going now. again. Filling in all the gaps I missed. <laughs> no, but th- there was just one, quite, I think it was a fun thing. I definitely would have put it in if I knew about it. So um, it sort of shows how the powerful people right at the centre of all of this were trying to stop it from happening right up until it all kicked off. Mm. So hours after Austria Hungary, Austria Hungary, sorry, declared war on Serbia, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia and his cousin Kaiser Wilhelm II started communicating with each other via telegram. As a side note, the titles Tsar and Kaiser are both directly derived from the Roman emperor title of Caesar. Do you know yeah. that? Uh, German listener Lucas Bender messaged saying the German word Kaiser is a direct descendant from the Latin Caesar, and not only that, the Latin word was probably pronounced just like Kaiser, with a hard C instead of a soft one. So he said, "So enjoy your Kaiser salads." So, <laughs> Kaiser or Caesar? <Keiser? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah,
0: Caesar oh, salad. I have a Caesar salad. <laughs> and then people will say, um, "It's Caesar," and you'll say, "Well, actually." <laughs> yeah, be that person. I actually
1: had a listener message me about this. Like
0: anytime time people order bruschetta, and you get to go, "Well, actually, <laughs> it's bruschetta." <but> okay. <laughs>
1: And I love doing that. <laughs> <laughs> They're always fact taking me at restaurants. They're like, "It's not G Notchi. It is not Genocchi." Yeah, I'm like,
0: um, I, think I think you'll find <laughs> you'll that's find. how I've always. Yeah, it. that's right, Mom <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> just
2: like Mum used to make. Uh, he also pulled me up, and he did this in a very friendly way. That's why I appreciate. I haven't said thanks for being gentle. <laughs> and he said, "Look, anyone who's getting upset about uh, information here, we're all having good fun." And I said, "I appreciate your attitude that's, very much. That's Mr. a great Bender.
0: attitude to have."
2: But hey, Did you just make up a conversation? No. This is a, <laughs> hey, it's all up there on the public record. Check out <laughs> twitter.com. Uh, but he also mentioned that uh, I, I did say king a few times for uh, brevity when talking about the Russian Tsar and the German Kaiser. And he said, while it's not necessarily wrong, it does sound a little weird to a German because Germany had many kings back then. There was a king of Bavaria king of Saxony, a king of all of those different territories. And the Kaiser was merely the boss king. Oh. <laughs> so sort of the, the king of kings or the ace of aces. Yeah, right.
0: Know. Okay,
1: should we call him the ace of aces?
0: So it's a no? bit confused. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's a bit confused. Yeah,
2: that's cool, right. Okay, that's really Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because there was a lot of kingdoms and had relatively recently come together. Mm. They're also a Tsar of sars. Yeah, Tsar of sars. I
0: love Boss King, though.
2: Boss King's pretty I good.
0: mean, it's very cute that you're a king, but I'm kind of like the king of kings, <laughs> Sorry. so you're going to need to sit down, okay? <laughs> Imagine
2: being the king, but then, like, being outranked.
0: Yeah. But I'm the king. But I'm the king. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. very cute. And we're very <laughs> proud of you <laughs> being a very good king. <laughs> Now sit down.
2: Sit down and someone's going to chop your head off. <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to the telegrams between Nicholas and Wilhelm. So they're cousins. They're both the rulers uh, of these two major players, one on each side of the war. But they're close. They grew up together. They they would go away and, on sailing vacations and wear each other's armies uniforms and stuff for fun, I guess, or I don't know. <laughs> But anyway, so they signed off uh, each other's telegrams with uh, their sort of affectionate nicknames for each other, which you'll hear because I'm going to read some of these out. Mm. Um,
0: Cuzzy Wuzzy.
2: <laughs> so the, the following breakdown of the correspondence is taken from a Washington Post article written by Graham Allison from Harvard's Kennedy School. Mm. Uh, the exchange began in the very early morning of July 29th, just hours after Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Uh, in retaliation for the Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo and the assassination. <laughs> uh, time was short to find a diplomatic solution that would prevent a regional war from becoming a world war. So this, is, this was a telegram from Tsar Nicholas. He wrote, and they, and they wrote to each other in English as well because, you know, that was a, a common language and both of their grandmothers was Queen Victoria. That's oh, of course, of cousins, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, quote, in this serious moment, I appeal to you to help me. An ignoble war has been declared to a weak country, that's Serbia. The indignation in Russia shared fully by me is enormous. I foresee that very soon I shall be overwhelmed by the pressure forced upon me to be forced to take extreme measures which will lead to war. To try and avoid such a calamity as a European war, I beg you in the name of our old friendship to do what you can to stop your allies from going too far, Nicky. That's what he calls himself. Nicky. <laughs> Nikki, Cute. It's sort of like you sort of, you see he's it's uh, he's sort of putting on a bit of pressure on the friendship. Yeah. But also like, come on, you don't, you're you not silly enough to be the one that forces, well, I know it's not you, but yeah. you're friends. Don't make your friends. Yeah. Do this silly war. Um, but even before this telegram arrived in Berlin, Kaiser Wilhelm sent his own message. So they sort of crisscrossed. Yeah, right. And this happened a lot in this conversation. They'd be replying to the last... Telegram and vice versa. Uh, Part of uh, his telegram in the other direction wrote, the persons morally responsible for this dastardly murder should receive their deserved punishment. In this case, politics plays no part at all. On the other hand, (laughs) I fully understand how difficult it is for you and your government to face the drift of your public opinion. Pretty sassy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've got a bit of... (laughs) Of a I drift know it's there.
0: hard, you know. Oof,
1: yeah, on. it's hard being
2: unpopular like yeah. you are But then again,
0: you know, I mean I can't relate. Yeah. I, I have to be very clear, I'm not sympathetic. <laughs> um but empathetic.
2: I'm an empath. You know, I'm an
0: empath, that must be tough. I don't know what it feels like, but it must be hard.
2: Uh, it goes on. Therefore, with regard to the hardy and tender friendship with which binds. Both of us from long ago with firm ties. I'm exerting my utmost influence to induce the Austrians to deal straightly to arrive at a satisfactory understanding with you. I confidently hope that you will help me in my efforts to smooth over difficulties that may arise. Your very sincere and devoted friend and cousin, Willie.
0: I'm just hoping it would be <laughs> yeah. Willie, yes.
2: Willie and Nikki. So these are known as the Willie Nicky telegrams. Very cute. And there was a bunch. I don't know how many of them. Uh, just going through them now. They're probably not that. Interesting, I, and there'll be a link to read them all if you want to, yeah, dear listeners. But um, the point is they're going backwards and forwards and it gets a little tenser as it goes along. Right. And it, eventually it's like a war breaks out basically. But
0: it seems like at the start they're, they're very much on the same page. Yeah,
2: that's right. Like throughout they're both trying to avoid the war. Yeah. But they're, they're not going to be the one. They're sort of not, neither of them are going to be the, the, you know, the classic bigger man of going, hey, look, I'm pulling right back. Yeah. Because they... They're in this position where they can't. So there was trouble because the uh, the Tsar, the Tsar, I don't know how to say that. But yeah. anyway, hey, uh, the Russians were going to take a while to get their army going. And if they didn't get ready, knowing that a war might be coming, then they're left way behind and vice versa. But as soon as their armies mobilised, the Germans like, well... That's sort of like an act of aggression. We yeah, see you setting up, yeah, so yeah. we've got to be prepared. Yeah. So it was, um, it was like a bit of a, just like a vicious cycle. Sort
0: yeah, of thing. right. Jeez.
2: But yeah, it was. It was kind of sad because it it all ended very badly. It ended but very badly for both of these guys, as we'll hear. Oh, of
1: sizzle. Bit of sizzle. There. Oh, are you telling me that over a hundred years later, both of these people are no longer here? <laughs> Hang on. Hey, look, I'm not going that far.
0: Dave. What about Queen
1: Victoria? Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and no. <laughs> So, Not Queen Vicky, <laughs> uh, Grandma Vicky. Grandma Vicky, it's me, little Nicky. <laughs> I'll
2: read one more paragraph uh, from this article by Graham Allison, which uh, sort of just showed me how much they knew. The, the, no one involved really wanted it to happen. I mean, maybe some of the people involved in the army, the respective armies, did. But um, so right, the, the last bit of correspondent uh, correspondence. Germany's ambassador, St. Petersburg, went in and handed the Russian foreign sorry, minister... his name is St. Petersburg. The, sorry, the ambassador to St. Petersburg. Right. Sorry. So
1: there's another guy called St. Petersburg. He's the ambassador <laughs> yes. for him?
2: that's right. <laughs> 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 sorry, sorry.
3: So
1: it's going to be a amb-
2: long report. <laughs> <laughs> the ambassador went in, A German's ambassador, he's yeah. in there in Russia, he handed the Russian foreign minister a declaration of war and then burst into tears. Oh. Isn't that hectic? Like, yeah. Wow. Um, Is he
0: worried they would shoot the messenger?
2: I, I, Well, I don't know. I guess he he was obviously, I assume, as the ambassador, he was probably living there. He probably quite likes yeah. being in Germany and being like, I don't want this to happen. Or maybe he just knew how fucked up it was all about to get. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, the other thing someone uh, or a few people pointed out was, I think we talked about how, Germany went through Belgium, which was neutral, which brought Britain into the war. Why didn't they just go around Belgium? But apparently, very well fortified the German uh, and French border oh. and a, a lot more mountainous as well, whereas Belgium's quite flat. So that was kind so of they the were reason.
0: Lazy. It was
2: a time saving yeah. thing. But in the end, probably. Probably should have just put on the hiking boots. Yeah.
0: To be fair, if there's a bit of a hill, I'm like, mm, I'll fuck drive. it, I'll go through Belgium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta walk up a no. hill a bit. Mm. But do you
2: and you also remember the Schlieffen plan? They needed to knock over France quickly. Yeah. So they couldn't afford this extra time. So they thought it was sort of the pragmatic decision to go, all right, we're going through a neutral territory. And they were like rolling the dice that so Britain would look the I other think way. So go, they were really oh, hoping they wouldn't. Can't be bothered getting into a war. Uh something else that I, I sort of hinted at but didn't quite go into Uh, in the first part, which I thought I'd just run through a little bit. So just just, because we talk about it as a world war, but really been focusing a lot on the the direct European ones. But I thought let's talk a bit about the British dominions. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So obviously there were two sides in the war, just to recap a bit. The central powers, which is the Austria-Hungary slash Germany and their ally side, I think. I'm assuming they're called the central powers because of their position in Europe. They are the centre yeah. compared to Russia and sort of France s- and everyone around on the side. side. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you've got on the other side the Triple Entente of France, Russia and Britain and then their allies. And that side is also commonly referred to as the allies. Um, I also went uh, want to go back and talk about the consequences of uh, one of the Triple Entente, Great Britain, entering the war because it brought in instantly brought in their dominions. They declared war on Germany on the 4th of August 1914. That automatically committed the rest of the empire to war. And, you know, this, this has been on the back of a few centuries of Britain going around and just stealing land and countries and whatever, you know, the yeah,
0: colonising the
2: world. So uh, this meant the West Indies, New Zealand, Australia, British India, Canada, Newfoundland, parts of Africa, including the Union of South Africa, all brought... Into the war basically, without any say at all. Yeah, well, the
1: wow. Godfather calling upon you for a favour.
2: Yeah. Even though
1: that, but the Godfather's already fucked up your country previously. Yeah. Wild. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, remember,
2: remember what I did for you, huh?
1: Huh? Uh? Well, now
2: you got to repay the favour. <laughs> you don't want Wait, to. <laughs> but that. Well, that's the funny thing. Um, So over uh, three million soldiers and labourers from across the empire and Commonwealth served alongside the British Army in the First World War, according to the National Army Museum. And you say, you assume that there would be sort of some, they'd be going, I don't want to be drawn into this, but according to the New Zealand government history website, quote, Britain could not have anticipated the enthusiasm with which its empire would embrace the war effort from the outset and its stoic commitment as the war dragged on nor could the British government have foreseen just how crucial a role some components of the empire, notably India and the Dominions, would play in the British Army's battles on the Western Front and elsewhere. Um, And then, so this is from the British National Army Museum website. It breaks down uh, some of the, the work that different Dominions and countries put in. So here's India. Soldiers from the Indian subcontinent, including India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, Fought in all the major wartime theatres. You just you don't hear about the Indian soldiers at all, but they put mm. in so many soldiers. Um, yeah, it's funny, I guess, because they're sort of all under the umbrella of the British Empire. Uh, I, you never really hear, apart from in Australia, the talk of Australian um, yeah, soldiers. Yeah, that's either.
0: what I was just thinking about. I mean, we've heard we study Australia's uh, involvement a lot heavy, uh, like in a much more heavy way. So that's what I was just thinking. I was like, well, yeah, we haven't thought about that, but we just haven't learned about it because we're just, as soon as you said Australia, I'm like, oh, there we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oop, that's us. We're in Australia right now. It's exciting.
2: But India, they uh, had uh, two infantry, two cavalry divisions uh, arriving in the Western Front by the end of 1914 and eventually 140,000 uh, men saw service there. In 1915, Indian troops arrived in the Middle East where they fought against the Ottoman Turks in Palestine and Mesopotamia, now Iraq. That same year, soldiers from the Indian Army fought alongside British, Australian and New Zealand troops on the Gallipoli Peninsula. I didn't know there were Indian troops involved in no. Gallipoli. I mean, in my head, Gallipoli is basically Australia and New Zealand yep. and then a couple of... English guys sipping on tea and making bad decisions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pointing at stuff. That's, I think that's how I was taught it in school. Pretty
0: much. I think that's what all the uh, the picture books yeah. had, yeah.
2: They're having a, like a bite of a biscuit yeah. and a sip of tea and going, go kill yourselves. Yes. Go jo- over there. Jolly good. Run at those bullets over there, mm. please. I uh, don't know if that's quite accurate. I but...
0: think it's pretty good, though. <laughs> it's close if it's not completely accurate. Yeah.
2: Uh, the Indians also formed a large portion of the Allied forces occupying former enemy territory in East Africa, the Balkans, Asia Minor, and the Caucasus. That's almost definitely not how you say that. In total, 1.27 million Indians voluntarily served as combatants and labourers.
0: Wow. Huge. Massive. Yeah.
2: Um, The West Indies, there were around 15,000 West Indians enlisted, including 10,000 from Jamaica. Others came from Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados, the Bahamas, (laughs) British Honduras, uh, Belize, Granada, British Guyana, the Leeward Islands, St. Lucia and St. Vincent. Uh, Although a few served in regular British army units, most men in the Caribbean served in the West Indian Regiment and the British West Indies Regiment, uh, serving in France, Italy, Africa and the Middle East. Again, I mean, I should also say that I don't know much about the World War in general, but nearly everything that I've read, is I've been like, whoa, yeah. really? <laughs> uh, uh, Africa, this is still from uh, that same uh, uh, British National Army Museum website I was talking about. Uh, African troops played a key role in containing the Germans in East Africa and defeating them in West Africa. Europeans and Indians struggled in the harsh African climate, but the local inhabitants had the skills to survive and prosper, which is hardly surprising. Um, By November 1918, the British Army in East Africa was mainly composed of African soldiers. The units involved were the West African Frontier Force, drawn from Nigeria, the Gold Coast, or now, Ghana and Sierra Leone, <laughs> not Gold Coast <laughs> yeah. and Queensland.
0: I was I was like, oh, oh, yeah, Service
2: paradise. <laughs> yep. Batman went up from Movie World.
3: <laughs> you
2: know, uh, they also uh, had recruits from Kenya, Uganda, and Malawi. Uh, at least one hundred eighty thousand Africans also served in the Carrier Corps in East Africa and provided logistic support to troops at the front. So, just yeah, um, wow. I, uh, just amazing numbers. Um, This I found interesting and a bit, I mean, sort of, you know, different time stuff, but a lot of this is uh, a bit fucked. But uh, in South Africa, over 60,000 labourers came from South Africa. Black South Africans were restricted to a logistical role because the South African government feared arming them. Around 25,000 black South Africans were also recruited to the South African native labour contingent that served on the Western Front in 1916 and 1917. So they basically, yeah amazing so i don't, either either fearing like revolt or yeah which i mean says something do if you if if your army's not going to fight for you
0: yeah you've got some other issues to maybe <laughs> sort out first uh in
2: 1915 an ex- expeditionary force of 67,000 white south african troops invaded german southwest africa namibia many of these soldiers later fought in east africa as well White South African units were also sent to the Western Front on the fourteenth of July, nineteen sixteen. The first South African brigade uh, entered Delville Wood on the Somme after six days of vicious fighting in hellish conditions. Around only around seven hundred and fifty officers and men remained unharmed. That was out, out of about just over three thousand. But that's huge. The big numbers, proportion yeah. Of, of yeah them went down. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if this is how interesting this is. But I just sort of be it's it's worth. Uh, Giving little snapshots of some of the other. So you're right. It is a world war. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> okay. totally.
3: uh
2: Canada. Do you want me to go through a few more? Or are you... I'll I'll just keep these briefer. Um, Canada, following the outbreak of war, Canada raised the Canadian Expeditionary Force for service on the Western Front. From 1915, it fought in the, uh, most of the major battles, winning renown at the Second Battle of Ypres. In 1915, uh, on the Somme in 1916, at Vimy Ridge in 1917, and at Parshendale in 1917. Canadian troops also played a leading role in the victorious Hundred Days Offensives of 1918, spearheading many of the Allies' key attacks.
3: Wow.
2: Uh, they lost over 60,000 men killed during the war, nearly 10% of the 620,000 Canadians who enlisted. Wow. Uh, Newfoundland, I didn't know, I'd never heard of Newfoundland. Oh, I knew it, but I didn't know where it was. But apparently this is now part of Canada. Yeah. But only since 1949. At at this time, it was its own separate um, space under the British Empire. They fought at Gallipoli as well, uh, but were almost wiped out in battles at Beaumont Hamill and the Somme, and they they also fought at Arras and Parshendale in 1917, and... Were there at the German Spring Offensive in 1918? Australia, Jess, you mm. heard of these guys? Mm. How many? How many Australians you reckon would have been involved? I was
0: trying to think of that before. When you're giving numbers from other places, I feel like there was a lot of us, wasn't there? I don't know.
2: As a as a stab. I mean, I I wouldn't have I would have had no idea. You don't have to. It was over 410,000. Okay, like uh, I was gonna
0: say a million. So four hundred thousand
1: seems a bit pish. But there's
2: a lot less people living here. That's, then. True. that's right. So yeah, as we a percentage, been,
1: it's huge. Yeah, as a percentage, of really big portion. And also, you got to be like, well, kids can't go. Well, in most cases, yeah. And you know, really old people can't go. So you're like, yeah. oh, that's really a
2: high percentage of anyone that yeah. could go. Yeah, that's right.
0: And yeah, and they're not sending no, women at that time. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. all
2: right. Um, yeah. yeah. Bonkers. You would have been there for sure, Dave.
0: Oh, no. Oh, my God. Imagine, Dave. They wouldn't have a uniform small enough. (laughs) They'd be like, we have this one for a mouse. Don't (laughs) ask why. The
2: the, the mascot. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, So uh, 410,000, around 200,000 casualties out of that. Whoa. (laughs) That's terrible. In April 1915, Australians landed at Gallipoli in Turkey with troops from New Zealand, Britain and France. We also heard India before. Yeah. Uh, the following year, Australian forces fought in campaigns on the Western Front and in the Middle East, where they defended the Suez Canal and helped take Sinai. Sinai. Uh, later, they advanced into Palestine and helped capture Gaza and Jerusalem. Uh, in 1918, the Australians played a leading role in the decisive Allied advance on the Western Front uh, as well. I'm going to talk a little bit in a sec about uh, a, a tiny bit more. About the Gallipoli campaign, because that is like, that's the one that's taught in our schools here. Yeah. But I also, I'm only going to touch on it briefly because I kind of feel like I reckon we'll do a report, a full report on it one day. Next week? (laughs) (laughs) I think people want and deserve a break from war. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) People have had to listen to five weeks.
0: I'm going to find some sort of kooky, (laughs) lighthearted story, I think,
1: (laughs) for five weeks. Imagine living through four years of it.
0: Yeah. But that's crazy so we lost almost half the men that went.
1: But when you say casualties I think that's not means always injuries yeah. yeah right, it's, okay. it's dead and injured injured like. Okay, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And usually quite injured Just right. Still,
0: yeah it's still fucked isn't it.
1: So yeah, yeah. you have a 50% was, chance of it like altering your body in some way.
0: Was the baby boom after the First World War or the Second World War?
2: Uh, so that would be after the Second, Second
0: World right? War. Second right yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, And then uh, New Zealand was the last one I'll touch on here. Following the outbreak of war, New Zealand forces helped Australia capture Germany's colonies in the Pacific. Almost 100,000 New Zealanders also served overseas in the New Zealand Expeditionary Force, including 2,700 Māori and Pacific Islanders. Around 18,000 New Zealanders gave their lives. This included 2,700 men killed at Gallipoli and over 12,000 soldiers killed on the Western Front.
1: Wow. So that's like a one in five. People aren't coming home at all.
2: Yeah.
0: That's nuts. Um,
2: As was the case with the Australian and Canadian comrades, the experience of fighting together away from home helped the New Zealand soldiers forge a distinct national identity. They talk about that a bit with Australia. Apparently, uh, Gallipoli has been a big part of, you know, that, um, of I guess, at least the military identity. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe even... Our mateship
0: mate I think
2: well, you know that's true I think a lot of that sort of stuff is drawn from that and it's also maybe it was it was sort of like starting to see ourselves as a separate entity from Britain yeah like wide Australia from just until then had the I think it's still at that point fought under the flag and yep. the like the British flag and God save the Queen was the national anthem I think even into my dad's life I think that's yeah. the case um I should have looked that up so I have people not yelling at their iPods. But um, anyway, let's talk briefly about the <laughs> Gallipoli campaign. Uh, in Australian and New Zealand military history, like I'm saying, the most well-known campaign of the war was at Gallipoli. Mm-hmm. With the war remaining settled into a stalemate in Europe on the Western and Eastern fronts, the Allies attempted to score a victory against the Ottoman Empire. Not going into too much detail, like I say, uh, but basically the Allies forged a large-scale land invasion Uh, the Gallipoli Peninsula in Turkey on the 25th of April 1915. This is still a a national holiday in Australia and I think in New Zealand as well, Mm -hmm. Anzac Day, Anzac being Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. Uh, This followed a failed Navy attack by British and French ships on the Dardanelles Straits in the months prior. So this strip was really important. Um, It sort of linked, it could link... uh, Uh, Basically, it's a a little strip that uh, separates um, Europe from Asia almost or Western Asia from Southern Europe. But it's also like quite an important uh, strait for getting ships through and stuff. Right. And the Ottoman Empire controlled it basically, I think. So they were trying to get that and that would have really helped the Russians like be able to get through for the Russians to the other side. Well explained.
0: I'm so sorry. I can't. I'm not. You're looking at us almost for help and I can't help.
2: No, I know. I, I shouldn't. It's have like a little back
1: to, door but... that they could go up and then like, <laughs> right? <laughs> a little chuff. little chuff. <laughs> <laughs> you go up the back and then you could like supply stuff and then be like, oh, hello, Germany, we're down here as well. It yeah. yeah, it would have yeah, just yeah. been, a,
2: it would have helped immensely. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, apparently it was on the list of possible, uh, Britain was looking at trying to take it from before the war. But it was seen as too difficult. Uh, And then into the war, they're like, "Well, maybe we'll have a crack at it. Hey, we got
1: a lot of people here that are willing to risk their lives. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Turned out, uh, and because of mistakes and whatever, the invasion was a dismal failure. And after months of fighting without any gains, or very little gains anyway, in December, the Allies began a full retreat, having suffered... Two hundred and fifty thousand casualties, including forty six thousand dead, oh. and on the other on the Turkish side, the campaign also cost an estimated two hundred fifty thousand casualties with sixty five thousand killed. So a lot of people died. I mean, that's the whole war, right? But a lot of people died without any gains. Apparently, uh, the Gallip- Gallipoli campaign had no influence on the war. Yeah, it was pointless. Like yeah.
0: Not pointless, but, yeah, like you say, no influence on the war and all those lives lost for no gain. The
2: thing that we are, like were taught to be sort of proud of at school, at primary school, I remember, was, was the escape. Nearly, I think, no one died or nearly no lives were lost on the retreat. Like, they did it under the cover of darkness. There was a bit of a um, uh, subterfuge or whatever they... Um, so they could get it out without anyone dying. And that was, that was the most successful thing about it, the retreat. Wow. Said something. Let's talk a bit about Italy. So Italy has not joined the war at this point and they actually started uh, on one side before the war and ended up joining the war on the <laughs> other side. So they were kind of interesting in that way. Uh, according to the theworldwar.org... Uh, when World War I began in July 1914, Italy was a partner in the triple alliance with Germany and Austria-Hungary, but decided to remain neutral. However, a strong sentiment existed within the general population and political factions to go to war against Austria-Hungary because they were Italy's historical enemy. Hmm. Annexing territory along the two countries' frontier stretching from the Trentino region in the Alps eastward to Trieste at the northern end of the Adriatic Sea was a primary goal and would liberate Italian-speaking populations from the Austro-Hungarian Empire while uniting them with their own cultural homeland. During the immediate pre-war years, Italy started aligning itself closer to the Entente powers, France and Britain, uh, for military and economic support. So they, they're seeing the war as a, as a chance to take back land and sort of free who they see as you know Italian people who are now on the other side of the Austro-Hungarian uh, border. On April the 26th, 1915, Italy negotiated the secret pact of London by which Great Britain and France promised to support Italy annexing the frontier lands in return for entering the war on the Entente side. On May the 3rd, Italy resigned from the Triple Alliance. So they signed to the other side and a week later resi- So there was a week there that I was sort of signed up to both sides.
0: You know they always say, line up another job before you quit. Yeah, yeah. very you know? smart by yeah. Italy.
1: Yeah. Or line up another marriage if yours
2: is falling apart.
0: Exactly right.
2: I had two marriages Yeah, once. I've got you, three light, you, light, you always have an overlap.
1: Yeah, oh man, you've got to have an overlap. Every
2: marriage needs an overlap. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy.
1: You've got to line go, up another on, marriage. What are you going, marriage-less? Don't yes. be ridiculous, Matt You leave yourself open
3: yeah,
0: To attack Matt, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, Dave Hang on, Dave Let's not attack him straight off the bat Let's come from a place of love and care Matt, are you trying to tell us that you
2: You've spent any of your adult life unmarried? Yeah Have you been living in sin? <laughs> no, no, no That'd be so No, no, I mean, I, I, sure I have overlapped I've overlapped in yeah. all my weddings Oh, thank
0: God and it's okay.
2: Sometimes for ease, I'll just marry multiple people on the same day. Exactly.
0: Yes. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. We're all on the same page then. I just wanted to make sure.
2: Yeah. Early days of your marriage, you know, you want to like have,
1: you know, I was going to say a few fingers and pies, um, you know, yeah. just in case. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Just in case. And it, thats all Italy was doing. And
0: it saves time and money on weddings. Just have one big one. Exactly. Marry three people. So and yeah, then how
2: it you, you also—I mean—you don't just drop the other wedding the next day or wife or whatever. Yeah. Partner. Because you want to give it a week, like Italy did, yeah. to just see if it feels right. Exactly. Yeah, a little bit of annulment time, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So on May the 3rd, Italy resigned from the Triple Alliance and later declared war against Austria-Hungary at midnight on May 23rd. It's so, crazy. So they broke up with them and waited nearly three weeks. Otherwise, you know, it's a bit a bit yeah. on the nose, Like, that'll yeah, be yeah. like in the Daily Mail, you know? Yeah, like... Bit of a dog act. Yeah. Yeah, come on. You've just declared war on your recent ex-wife? Yeah, jeez. Come on, mate. Jeez, give her a bit of space. Yeah. Let her remarry. Yeah. Let her declare war on you. Exactly yeah, that's right.
0: right. Yeah, yeah. You guys are such feminists. Thank
2: no. you. I mean, I, do I have to say that? <laughs>
0: no, 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 not at all. Yeah. It's tattooed I across I am the floor. feminist yeah.
2: of this podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you two should get behind me. I'm gonna Lean get him, in. I'm
0: going to get him a T-shirt. It says The Feminist.
2: The
1: Feminist of the
2: podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of I
1: the podcast forward. will be in very yeah. small place. And that's a real uh, conversation starter <laughs> at a party. Look forward to explaining oh, that. Oh, so you're a feminist <laughs> of a podcast. All right. I wish I hadn't brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry,
0: the God, regret there. is yeah, Oh, God. <laughs>
1: and I'm there sorry. is a woman on the podcast.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. all right. You seem fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's why. I mean, in a lot of ways, I do it to help her.
0: <laughs> you're like, you haven't met her. Bloody hell. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh my she god. Hates yeah, women. You, know what they're like. you know what they're like. What happened to the system? <laughs> so so Italy's declared war on Austria Hungary, midnight, May twenty third. History.com continues. British led forces also combated the Ottoman Turks in Egypt and Mesopotamia, while in northern Italy, Austrian and Italian troops faced off in a series of twelve battles along the Isonzo River located on the border between the two nations. So that was like... That, that was a it's something I'd not heard of, but, yeah, Austria, Hungary and Italy were really fighting over territory along this strip. Twelve battles. Um, the first Battle of the Isonzo took place in the late spring of 1915, soon after Italy's entrance into the war on the Allied side. In the Twelfth Battle of the Isonzo, also known as the Battle of Caporetto in October 1917, German reinforcements helped Austria-Hungary win a decisive victory. Uh, after Caporetto, Italy's allies jumped in to offer increased assistance, British and French and then Americans, which it seems like there's a bunch of times where it's like they go, and American troops came in, and that really helped. <laughs> Thousands of American troops right. came in, fresh troops.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but yeah, the, the, so that helped in their case. but. 12 different battles, and it wasn't like one keeps winning. It was like switching. There were three of the, three or four of the battles were kind of too close to call. Wow. It was a real hot contested series. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about another th- I mean, like, I sh- don't need to preempt all of these because they're all things I haven't heard of before, but this is the Sykes-Picot or Picot Agreement. Have you heard of this? No. No. So on May the 16th, 1916, Britain and France, there's a lot of secret signings.
0: Ah.
2: Britain and France secretly signed the sykes picot Agreement under the assumption that the, quote, sick old man of Europe, the Ottoman Empire, was coming to an end. And Britain and France, they met to decide how they would basically cut up the Middle East and take bits and pieces for themselves. It's real gross Uh, stuff.
0: Ah, the Brits and the French, very good at that.
2: Have a bit of this. Uh, the third member of the Triple Entente, Russia, was also in attendance, though it had already been agreed in the March nineteen fifteen Constantinople agreement to give Russia Constantinople, now Istanbul, what's Constantinople, and the areas around it. So all three had kind of divvied up the Middle East a bit. And this is like the war's still going. They're yeah. going We think we this is all falling apart here. What do we what do you want?
0: You can have that bit.
2: It's like kids trading cards or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, like kids do.
0: Kids today. <laughs> they still do cards. With their cards.
2: Probably yeah. holograms. Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably money
0: all online. Kids don't play in person anymore.
2: <laughs> Probably swapping, uh, like... Dobbies. Sorry, that's not where oh. I was going. Holy shit. Holy shit. Is
0: that not where oh. you were going? I'm sure it was. <laughs>
2: Gobby, Gobby card.
0: Yeah, Gobby cards.
2: Oh, there we go. Gobby's Just a... plan the Gobby card Gobby again. Gobby is a
0: fun little character, yeah. like Gumby. It's, it's Gumby's little like brother. Like
2: the little the little elf in Harry Potter. Yes. I'm Gobby. <laughs> Gobby's world. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're talking about... <laughs> I need a sock. I need a wank. <laughs> we're talking about the sykes picot Agreement. Uh, according to Britannica, the agreement led to the division of Turkish-held Syria, Iraq, Lebanon and Palestine into various French and British-administered areas. The deals made in this secret agreement have created ongoing problems and affected generations of people in the area. Ongoing till today. Wow. Like, you know, trouble in the Middle East? It feels like... Some of that goes back to this. Um, Drawing borders, you know, just drawing... We'll take a border here. Mm. uh, And this is still from Britannica. Even though the borders of the mandates were not determined until several years after the Sykes-Picot Agreement, the fact that the deal set the framework for these borders stoked lingering resentment well into the 21st century. Pan-Arabists opposed splitting up the mostly Arab-populated territories into separate countries, which they considered to be little more than imperialist impositions. Kind of hard to argue with that, even though I don't know <laughs> more than what I'm telling you. Mm. Uh, moreover, the borders split up other contiguous populations, like the Kurds and the Druze, and left them as minority populations in several countries, depriving their communities of self determination altogether. Imagine you like you've got communities in this area, and they're drawing lines crisscrossing through it. You're like, ah, oh, but yeah. Now we're minorities in these four new countries. Yeah. Yeah, what a... It's just like no... It just feels like no foresight or understanding on how people work. It looks like they're playing a board game.
0: Yeah, it feels so weirdly entitled. Like, we know we know what's best, obviously. I'll take this... I'll make my own little boarder yeah, here. Yeah, I
2: wonder if that's what they, they were even thinking. This is good for them, or they just weren't thinking about that yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah, so... That was, that was something. Uh, here's another wild thing that I didn't know happened during World War I. The Russian Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, like, there's so many things in here that could be their own reports. Mm. But anyway, so relatively briefly, according to the World worldwar.org, on April the 16th, 1917, having travelled on a sealed train from Switzerland, Vladimir Lenin, never heard of him, returns to Petrograd, or St. Petersburg, after a decade of exile to personally lead the Russian Revolution. The Russian Revolution is a big old topic. It's actually, it sounds like it's sort of two revolutions in the same year. I'm not going to go into that too much, but potentially we'll do this. <laughs> I mean, I just can't. It, well, honestly, I could, oh, you no. could talk about it yeah. for an hour and scratch the surface of it. Yeah. So I'm going to go through it very briefly. From 1914 to 1916, Russia's army mounted several offensives on World War I's eastern front. Uh, you know, we talked about last week. Uh, this is the Eastern Front was basically the the French and German border, whereas the Russian was German and uh, sorry, the Eastern Front was the German and Russian. Yeah, so line.
1: the Western Front is the French. Did I say one? that
2: the wrong way around.
1: I think no. you said Eastern twice.
2: <laughs> good. <laughs> so the Western <laughs> Front is the French side. Eastern Front is the Russian side. Isn't it good that I came in and go? I'll help simplify this by <laughs> making it way more baffling. <laughs> Wait, there's two east of fronts <laughs> on each side of the country? Wait, we keep going east.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, go east far enough. Yeah, that's
2: right. Uh, so this is, this is uh, from history.com. Defeat on the battlefield combined with economic instability and the scarcity of food and other essentials led the mounting discontent among the bulk of Russia's population, especially the poverty-stricken workers and peasants. This increased hostility uh, and... Uh, Sorry, this increased hostility was directed toward the imperial regime of Tsar Nicholas II, Nikki, and his unpopular German-born wife, Alexandra. Uh, Russia's simmering instability exploded in the Russian Revolution of 1917, spearheaded by that man, Vladimir Lenin, and the Bolsheviks, which ended Tsarist rule and brought a halt to Russian participation in World War I. So that were still fighting in the World War, uh, but they were doing it real tough. The uh, revolution occurs, and the new leaders go. We're not in this war anymore. Russia reached an armistice with the Central Powers in early December 1917, freeing German troops to face the remaining Allies on the Western Front. So this is this is a big shot in the arm for the Germans. Uh, they can fight in one one spot basically. Yeah, that's right. So this this uh, two front war. I mean, there's fronts all over the yeah. all over the world now, but mm. the main European ones. they have they're able to take away a bunch of troops they were using against the Russians. Uh, What happened to Nicholas? I was saying before, it did not end well for Nikki Nikki and Willie. It it was definitely worse for Nikki than Willie. Nicholas and his family were held prisoner until the following year when at the age of 50, the last Tsar of Russia, Nicholas II, was executed with his wife and daughters on the 17th of July, 1918, and some of his servants as well. The photos, it looks like it's a, It's like a little homestead in the, in the stick somewhere. And uh, they were taken out there, taken down in the basement, read their, the riots, whatever, and killed, brutally murdered. Oh. Uh, according to Britannica, in a slightly, you know, all good things come to an end, but in a slightly more positive note, according to Britannica, on August the 20th, 2000, the Russian Orthodox Church canonized the empire, the emperor, and his family, designating them passion bearers, the lowest rank of sainthood, but a sainthood nonetheless. Okay. Because of the piety they had shown during their final days.
0: Passion bearers.
2: Passion bearers. (laughs) Sounds like a delicious drink.
1: It does sound nice, doesn't it?
0: What are you guys having? Do you want a passion bearer? Passion bearer?
1: PB, please. What flavour? I'll go with passion fruit.
0: Interesting. I'm going to get a berry. (laughs) Okay. Matt, I know you. Watermelon.
2: Plain. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh delicious plane. <laughs> uh, so the, so they were executed because they' you know they that was all official under the new regime. Uh, and it wasn't until October the 1st 2008 when Russia's Supreme Court ruled that the executions were acts of unfounded re- repression and granted the family full rehabilitation. obviously. Too little, too late in yeah. terms and, of their uh, lives, but r- resurrection, I assume. <laughs> yeah, and re- and full resurrection.
0: <laughs> and uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, so that's uh, wow. hectic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Poor old Nicky. There's a whole other story that I wanted to talk about, and now I'm, i feel like I'm going to tell you t- briefly. Um, <laughs> but he, the uh, the British were going to his cousin in, in uh, King. It's Henry the Fifth, right? In Britain was going to. They were very close as well. George. Nicholas. Oh, George. Sorry. And uh he was he was gonna give them sanctity or whatever over in Britain, but then that was gonna be a bit on the nose and they were nervous about that, so uh still not known if it was King George or the Parliament, but probably King George sort of reneged on it, Ugh. which meant that Well you know, they stayed behind and got stayed executed. behind and got executed, yeah. So that's uh, pretty full on. Uh so let's talk China, biggest country in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they so To this point, China had remained neutral in the war, according to the Smithsonian. I, I just, it was only today that I'm like, well, what was China's role? They, obviously, they must have been involved somehow, but I just, there was no real mention of them, so I had to hunt it out a little bit more. I found this seemingly good article on the Smithsonian, which I'm going to quote from here. Under the rule of the Qing Dynasty, China was the most powerful nation in the East for nearly three centuries. But losing the first Sino Japanese War to Japan in 1895 put an end to that. You reckon I'm saying that Sino, Sino Sino. Sino? Sino Japanese War. Uh, the Chinese people suffered political chaos, economic weakness, and social mis- misery, writes histori- uh, historian Professor Xiu uh, in his book Strangers on the Western Front. He goes on, but this was also a period of excitement, hope, high expectations, optimism, and new dreams because China believed it could use the war as a way to reshape the geopolitical balance of power and attain equality with European nations. There was only one problem. At first, none of the Allies wanted China to join the fight with them, interestingly. Although China declared itself neutral at the start of the war in August 1914, China's President, K'ai had secretly offered British Minister John Jordan 50,000 troops to retake Qingdao, which we talked about in part one. Jordan refused the offer, but Japan would soon use its own armed forces to oust the Germans from the city, and they remained there throughout the war. So Japan was sort of in this what was a Chinese territory. Japan is sort of there now. Uh, And for whatever reason, Britain didn't want China to do that themselves. I don't fully understand. There'd be a reason for this. Someone's yelling at their iPod right now. But... uh, (laughs) So I, I mentioned this story and how China's neutrality was also breached by Japan on their way to defeating Germany at Qingdao. Well, according to History.com, that to rub salt into the wound, that January Japan presented China with the so-called 21 demands, and these included the extension of direct Japanese control over most of Shantung, southern Manchuria and eastern Inner Mongolia, and the seizure of more territory, including islands in the South Pacific, controlled by Germany. So Japan's really, at this point, you know, lording it over a bit. Uh, back to the Smithsonian article. By February 1916, with men dying in huge numbers in Europe, Jordan came, Jordan, this is the British minister, came around to the idea of Chinese aid as they're losing thousands and thousands. Yeah, actually, of that'd true. be great. Like, you've got you've got guys who could send in? Maybe we'll... Maybe yeah, that...
0: Maybe. You know what... <laughs>
2: What I said. All right.
0: Why not? <laughs> i will give, give you a go. I'll give you a go. I'll give you a go. I'll give you a go. I'm not desperate.
2: Trial period.
0: Yeah, I'll give you a go. Yeah.
2: All right. You've got three weeks.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so, but th- there was a stipulation. China could join with the Entente provided that Japan and the other allies accepted her as a partner. All uh,
0: right. China is a woman.
2: China is a woman in this article. Uh, As a feminist, I stand by that. Me too. Mm. Uh, China can be woman. (laughs) So China can be woman too. Yes. So Japan uh, refused to allow Chinese soldiers to fight. They wanted, uh, hoping to remain the powerhouse in the east. So Japan's like, nah, China can't be involved in in the war. If China couldn't fight directly, their president, Shakae, uh, its advisors decided the next best option was a secret show of support towards the allies. They
0: seem really keen to be involved in the war. We- I would sort of be going, "Do you, do you guys want me? No, all <laughs> oh, right. Hey, go to the bar.
2: Do you want a
1: yeah.
0: drink? to do? it totally, hundred percent. Hey,
1: let's all note that I offered.
0: Yeah, and then when when they're like, "No, thank you," I'd be like, "Oh, thank God oh for my that."
1: God. But they, they are... want to sit
2: at t- they want to sit at the table. They want to be they want to be back on the world stage. Oh. They were a big power for cent- Like I think. We're, we've lived through this tiny blip when China wasn't the big world power. I think through so much of history they have been. And, you know, it's, it's, it's there again now. Mm. She, and she's there again now.
1: Yeah, she is. <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs>
0: Very good. You were Am making I... a
1: joke about President Xi? Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 um <laughs> I
2: thought you wanted to I was like, that's that's a great pun. Um, well, you would know as the pun master.
1: Pun master, thank you very much. But oh, are they also hoping that, hey, how about Europe? Maybe they'll help us out with this little Japanese problem. Yeah, I on. think, well, I just think
2: yeah. they want to be in there up with the big boys. Yeah. But, yeah, they want a, a seat at the table after the war to, yeah. to discuss how things are.
1: Yeah, it'd be great if uh, they weren't in here anymore, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I was going to you guys think of Japan? It'd be great if China had...
2: China again. <laughs> so they, I mean, I, and I'm, t- I'm talking very naively about all this. I'm basing all this off this one article. They'd, I'm sure there's other sides. Like the Japanese would be like, no, we had rights to certain things or whatever, you know. Of course. Uh, so, um, so they, they go. We want to. We're going to send secret support by sending sending men in there, not as troops, but as laborers, <laughs> and starting in late- it's like security guards. Yeah. Yeah. Bounces. I mean, if you want to give them a gun, whatever.
0: We can carry stuff with yeah. guns. Yeah, we'll carry guns. We'll carry guns.
1: And if one so happens to fire, shoot a gem in the face, was a happy accident.
2: I'm just going to start shooting my gun <laughs> yeah. in this direction, and if any of the enemy send, you know, walks into that stream of bullets, <laughs> then that's on there. So that. be it. Uh, so starting in late 1916, China began shipping out thousands of men to Britain, France and Russia. Those labourers would repair tanks Assemble shells, transport supplies and munitions, and help to literally reshape the war's battle sites. I right? Somewhere else in this article, they were like, a lot of the trenches were dug by Chinese men.
1: Huh. Cool. I did not know that.
2: I did not know that. If true, did not uh, check against another source at all. So, uh, since China was officially this, uh, still, for, I mean, this is a, the Smithsonian's pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Since China was officially neutral, commercial businesses were formed to provide the labor. So, you know, it's like, no, they're not not fighting for us. We're, We're just paying them for their work. But then the United States entrance into World War I shifted the political dynamics of the allies with U.S. officials supporting China's cause with an eye towards the war's end. Uh, China's position became more fraught when Germany announced its strategy of unrestricted submarine warfare, as we discussed in part one.
0: Submarines.
2: The U-boats. That so stupid. That ended up kind of bringing the Americans into the war. The underwater blimps. Yeah, that's right. They're fucking
0: dumb. Zeppelins of the Anything sea. with a periscope is stupid.
2: <laughs> well, uh, one, of the, one of the attacks of these U-boats uh, killed more than 500 Chinese labourers aboard the French ship Athos. In February of 1917 Finally encouraged by the US And believing it was the only sure way To be considered in the eventual Peace agreements China declared war on Germany On August 14th 1917 And though little change In the support they provided Since they had already been sending labourers But they were now Officially in the war Mm.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, growing, getting bigger, it all means the same thing. Squarespace <laughs> makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. And if you're worried about like, well, I don't know how to
0: write stuff for a website and make myself look good, well, you can get help with the written content for your website with Squarespace AI. You can generate instant personalised results that highlight your brand identity. You can explain what your site's about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and bang, you got some short and long-form text, baby. So Squarespace AI makes it easy to go live, stand out, and succeed online. I'm
2: so glad you had that bit because I thought it was pronounced Squarespace AI. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses or sell files your customers can download. I don't know if I'm hitting all these words <laughs> as intended, like PDFs, musics, or eBooks. I would love to buy Matt's eBook.
0: I'd like to buy Matt's course, and you you <laughs> can do that. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course.
2: Be more like Matt. Oh, 101.
0: God. Wow. Yeah. How many? Does it go to 102?
2: It goes all the way to 102. Wow.
0: <laughs> you can customise everything with next generation editing technology. You can create engaging lessons your audience will love and then set the price. You can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Matt, how much is it to be more like Matt 101?
2: Oh, three mil. Wow.
1: wow. P- like per month or?
2: Yeah, USD. <laughs>
1: awesome. Head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash
2: do go on. All right. So now have you heard of this? Uh, President Woodrow Wilson's 14-point plan.
1: Yeah, I have, yep.
2: You're a fan of the plan?
1: Uh big fan of the plan. Especially number eight, is it? Yes, that's everyone's favourite. Yeah, number eight's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that Bit of a one. fan of
0: six as well. Like six? Not,
1: I thought three didn't need to be there.
0: Yeah, could not agree more. Just saying. Could so, not agree more. Eight
1: and six, real good. Number three, I mean, basically repeating.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you just wanted to sort of...
1: He thought thirteen-point really? plan. That sounds unlucky. Yeah, you. Were which just to which flesh one was out. your favourite against? Oh, number eight, eight for me. Eight.
2: And Jess thought six was great yeah. too. Eight. Uh, all French territory should be freed, and the invaded portions restored, and the wrong done to France by Prussia in 1871 in the matter of. Asachi Lorraine, yeah. which has settled the peace of the world for nearly 50 years, yeah, Dave should be righted yep. in order that peace may once more be made secure in the interest of all.
1: Dave, isn't that your tramp stamp?
2: <laughs> yes, it is. You cannot argue against it, word so I got it word. inked.
1: Yeah. And number six, I believe, was also a good one, Matt.
2: Uh, that's a longer one, but okay. Maybe uh, a summary there? Yeah, I'll give, give you the top part. The evacuation of all Russian territory and such a settlement of all questions affecting Russia... As will secure the best and freest cooperation of the other nations of the world in obtaining for her an unhampered and unembarrassed opportunity for the independent determination of her own political development God. and national policy. Wow, this is a real run-on sentences. Feminism, it. we love that. Yeah. Oh, well, countries used to be women.
0: So number six is Bring my favourite because I don't understand a word of it.
2: But I not- think it's basically going, yeah, let Russia go back to how it was. Let
0: Russia be Russia. Let Russia be Russia.
2: When Russia pulled out, uh, had the armistice with Germany, they had to, they gave concessions obviously because they were pulling out Mm -hmm. basically not quite surrendering the armistice is somewhere between it's just like them agreeing to stop fighting but the the country who's going and going can we sign an armistice they normally come off Second best. Hmm. Anyway. I Number even... three was the one we I disagree with. Oh, you didn't agree didn't with Didn't need yeah, to, to be. Yeah, we thought it doesn't need to be there. The removal so far as possible of all economic barriers <laughs> and the establishment of an equal equality of trade conditions among all the nations consenting to the peace and associating themselves for its maintenance.
1: Yeah, it what does that like mean? Duh, <laughs> yeah? Know?
2: I mean it doesn't need to be
1: said. Yeah. That's what I think. Anyway, <laughs> the fourteen points. We agree with most of them.
2: Yes. So on January the eighth, nineteen eighteen, American president Woodrow Wilson Woodrow spoke before a joint meeting of Congress and outlined his fourteen point plan for long lasting peace following World War One. He was a he was an idealist. He he thought the world could live in peace and he just oh, gotta follow my fourteen point plan. Oh Woodrow. Uh, and look at a,
0: us now, live in peace, all of us. Well,
2: thanks, mate. Pretty Your good plan. Yeah, I think there was a pretty long lasting peace after yeah. World War One, wasn't it? According to History.com, although they didn't really follow the plan, who knows if they followed the 14-point plan? This is from History.com. Wilson's proposal called for the victorious allies to set unselfish peace terms with the vanquished central powers of World War I, including freedom. And this, the war's still going as well. But they feel like... It's not that... It's, it's relatively even at the start of eight, 1918. Mm. You know, it's not like uh, death throes of the battle... Um, so it's interesting. He's coming and going, come on.
0: Hey, you're going to,
2: you're losing. Let's be honest. We're going to yeah. give you a good deal though. So that, but that's what he's suggesting. And it, it, this is what did not happen. Um, so this does feel like in hindsight might've been good. Uh, Unselfish peace terms, including freedom of the seas, the restoration of territories conquered during the war, and the right to national self-determination in such contentious regions as the Balkans. So let people rule themselves. A lot of stuff makes sense there. Several points address specific territorial issues in Europe, but the most significant sections set the tone for post-war American diplomacy and the ideals that would form the backbone of US foreign policy as the nation achieved superpower status in the early 20th century. Wilson could foresee that international relations would only become more important to American security and global commerce. He advocated equal trade conditions, arms reduction, and national sovereignty for former colonies of Europe's weakening empires. The speech was translated and distributed to soldiers and citizens of Germany and Austria-Hungary. So it was, you know, it's quite a positive, let's look at the, let's, let's work together sort of thing. Uh which wasn't as popular with, like, the Britons and that. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean we have to give up (laughs) those
3: countries? Yeah. What? You're letting
2: them figure out their own stuff? I don't know about Mm. this. Point 14 uh, was his idea of a League of Nations, suggesting a general association of nations must be formed under specific covenants for the purpose of affording mutual guarantees of political independence and territorial integrity to great and small states alike. Whatever that means, but you know what it means. It's sort of like it's, like, it's it was kind of a proto UN. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's leave that to the side for one moment. We'll come back to that. That that stuff comes back post war. Here's a little throwaway section. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the World War, war uh, the World War.org. on March. Sorry, the, uh, sorry Thank oh. you. On March the eighth, had no idea what he was talking yeah. about. Yeah. On March the eighth, nineteen eighteen, Camp Funston at Fort Riley in Kansas made the first report of influenza. The disease spread overseas to the Western Front. Over the next year, this quote Spanish influenza kills two hundred sorry twenty million worldwide. It's funny, it's cause it yeah, you know, I only learned that very recently that it it did not start in Spain. Should be called the Kansas influenza. Well the Camp Funston. Oh Camp Funston influenza? I almost feel like I want to get it. Yeah I'd be yeah. like sign me up Having fun at Camp Funston. It's yeah.
0: kind of like a flu, but you like sneeze bubbles. Yeah. You know?
2: <laughs> and your your nose goes real red and sore, but it honks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun.
2: Yeah, but that that influenza wasn't. So that I mean was that missed quite opportunity. Deadly. Quite missed deadly. opportunity yes. there. It's and it's marketing. all in the branding, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a rebrand. That's all I'm saying. Let's have a bloody Rebrand anyway, let's get back to the war. Yes, enough talk about flus. Yeah. So, to about 20 million, holy shit, that's got to, affect, that that's got to wild. Affect, affect the the outcome, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I think because it, it was it was affecting both sides, yes, yeah, but crazy. It, 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 if it affected it, it if, my guess would be that it affected in the way that both sides, like, oh, we holy are shit, knackered, <laughs> yeah, and we're losing more and more people from all sorts of things now. Not just bullets and anymore. I don't even talk about the gases they were using. They were using these full-on gases on both sides. Yeah, and Really, stuff. really fucked up stuff. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the war. Um, enough of that fucked up chat. <laughs> so with the Russians out of the war, Germany was able to bolster its troops on the Western Front. That's from History.com. On July the 15th, 1918, German troops launched what would become the last German offensive of the war attacking French forces joined by 85,000 American troops as well as uh, some British. But, I mean, that's it would feel so unfair. You're are like, we're already fighting so many countries and all of a sudden, because we admittedly blew up boats of theirs, <laughs> all of a sudden they've come into the war and they are against us. Um, but, yeah, th- so that was in the second Battle of the Marne, very decisive battle. The Allies successfully pushed back the German offensive and launched their own counteroffensive just three days later. After suffering massive casualties, Germany was forced to call off a planned offensive further north in the Flanders region, stretching between France and Belgium, uh, which was envisaged as Germany's best hope of of victory. They still had hopes, but the the Second Battle of Marne seems to have snuffed them out a fair bit, Uh, turned the tide of the war decisively towards the Allies, who were able to regain much of France and Belgium. In the months that followed
1: and what year was that that's
2: 1918 so right. we're, we're in the final we're on the home sure, stretch sure. Now. but
1: before that you were saying it was looking all right it no? was yeah
2: just before like Could it was go. still ah. germany had they were still feeling positive but yeah it was hard things got only get harder from here for them as well it's by the second half of 1918 it was all falling apart for the central powers uh quote despite the turkish turkish victory at gallipoli Later defeats by invading forces and an Arab revolt uh, that destroyed the Ottoman economy and devastated its land was really putting the Ottoman Empire under the sword. Uh, if that's a phrase. To the sword. Oh, like under the sword? Under the sword.
0: Under the sword. <laughs> under the
2: sword. <laughs> under the sword. <laughs> uh, this is from another. I've, I reckon fr- I've quoted from maybe eight different History.com articles. A, I they really to... love this war. <laughs> they are war
1: mad. Over <laughs> they there. love it. My God.
3: God. Okay, have
1: you ever watched the History Channel? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it le- World War II, even more so, but they love this shit. Mm.
2: Yeah, they, and Hitler. They love Hitler. Oh, man. my goodness. Why well, don't know if they love they Hitler? They
0: love Hitler. <laughs> they
1: Hitler. love chatting Hitler. They love
2: Hitler. Where is he now? Yeah. What's he up to? Yeah, there's a lot of shows like. Finding Hitler's, finding Hitler's final bunker destination. Finding
1: his grave, finding his body, finding his location in Argentina. Yes,
2: he's he's got Argentina. Yeah. I'm I'm like, I reckon if you're gonna find him, I would have heard about it before yeah. watching this uh, reality show looking yeah. documentary.
1: Mm, that's a good point. Finding Hitler's son. <laughs> Stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Mm. Uh, finding Hitler's under Antarctic bunker. <laughs> So this is this is from another History.com article. On October the 30th, 1918, British uh, aboard the British battleship Agamemnon. <laughs>
0: Agamemnon, Ag- that famous
1: uh, ship. Agamemnon. Agamemnon. Freddie you that one, really
2: actually.
1: Quotes,
2: he, he quotes that in a few of his songs. <laughs>. Agamemnon. Battleship Ag- oh. Agamemnon. All right. I think what you said was better. Uh, Agamemnon. So that was anchored in the port of Mudros in the Aegean islands of Lemnos. Representatives of Great Britain and the Ottoman Empire signed an armistice treaty marking the end of Ottoman participation in the First World War. Oh. By its terms, Turkey had to open the Dardanelles, which we are talking about before. Very important little strip of water. Little back door. Little back door. Little, little chuff. chuff. <laughs> and little chuff. Tiny chuff. <laughs> so they had to open up the Dardanelles and the Bosporus Straits to Allied warships. So, you know, this is another tough thing for the central powers to cop there. Uh, And it also... They also had to open their forts to military occupation. Uh, It was also to demobilise its army, release all prisoners of war, and evacuate its Arab provinces, the majority of which were already under Allied control. Um, They... The... The Ottoman Empire refused to paint the treaty as an act of surrender for Turkey, later causing disillusionment and anger in Constantinople, their capital. But in fact that is what it was. The Treaty of Madros ended Ottoman participation in World War One and effectively, if not legally, marked the dissolution of a once mighty empire. It was basically the end of the Ottoman Empire. Not officially, that didn't happen until November the first, nineteen twenty two. But basically it was it was done then. Uh the Russian and Ottoman empires have now collapsed. So this war's taken out two, you know, the... Empires. The, the Tsarist rule had been for centuries gone. The Ottoman Empire, which had been a massive power, it was it was fading, but this is what snuffed it out. Said, Quicker than it would have otherwise. You said,
1: like, the Sultan was the absolute leader.
2: Yes. Sort of like the King of Kings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, King,
1: yeah the King of Kings, like, in terms of religion
2: and... Yes, and and military. Yeah. So that's gone. Um, But, you know, there's still a couple to go. (laughs) Next up, Austria-Hungary. At the Battle of Vittorio Veneto, fought from October the 24th to November the 4th in 1918. So we're getting very close to the end now. Italy won a decisive victory in what would become the final offensive launched on the Italian front during the war. While their army fought on the Italian front, the Austrian-Hungary Empire was falling apart back home. For instance, the provisional Czechoslovak government in Prague declared independence from the empire. While mid-war, they're like, we're, we're bailing. <laughs> <laughs> and Hi. Hungary, I don't know if you've heard of that, the Hungary and Austria-Hungary also dissolved their union with Austria. Oh, dear. Uh, not surprisingly, things weren't going so well on the battlefield either. Like, the Empire's falling apart. You think the army's going, well, we're still... <laughs> we're going, okay, not really. According to Britannica, short of equipment, rations and manpower, the Austro-Hungarian army was no longer a coherent fighting force. Some un- some units simply abandoned their positions and began marching home to their new nation-states. Like, we're we're not... We're free of you now. We're going to go... well wow. yeah, like If you're Czech or whatever, you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, I... Don't I'm represent out. you anymore. Yeah. Laters. Um, from October 30th, the Italian advance was slowed only by its rapidly growing number of prisoners.
3: Oh,
0: wow.
2: So they're just ploughing through. Uh, on the 3rd of November, an armistice was signed uh, to come into effect on the, for- the following day, on the 4th. The Austro-Hungarian command ordered its men to cease hostilities after the signing, but the Italians continued their advance, taking many more prisoners and reaching the Asosno River without opposition. Which was that battleground? Which they fought over twelve battles at the Oslo. So oh, said that differently every time. I I looked, the first one. I wrote out phonetically yeah. for myself, and I didn't do it again. Yeah, I reckon I, I got it pretty that. close the first time. I
0: always do that. I do it with the first one, and I'm like, and then I'll remember I'll for remember the rest. Osno. but I don't.
2: I mean, and I'm Swiss Italian. That's
0: why a couple of weeks ago I just called that guy Fritz the whole time.
2: 116 Swiss Italian, sorry, Fritz. I couldn't, yeah,
0: because his surname confused me every time.
2: It's a great name, whatever it was.
0: Duquesne.
2: Oh, Duquesne, because it reminded me of Andy, Andy Dufresne. Dufresne
0: exactly, you. that's how I remembered. in the And end. he broke
2: out of a, a prison I as I know, well.
0: yeah. Whoa. He titled
1: out. It's incredible. Uh, being 116th Swiss Italian, how are you feeling about, you
2: know, who you, your well, allegiance is to? The, the Swiss part of me is very neutral. Yeah,
1: that's right. So 132nd <laughs> of you is
2: neutral. I think. Yeah, well, I think because I... The, the Swiss-Italian thing is it's just Italians right on the border. Right on the border. On, border. on the other side, so... I think, into Switzerland maybe is what it was. So I think it's sort of like what they were talking about. They were trying to get the, their Italian-speaking yes. people back on the right side. So I don't know how I feel. I really need to look into my heritage a bit more. Um, the Theworldwar.org concludes of the Italian war effort, quote, at the beginning of the war, the Italian army boasted less than 300,000 men. Tiny army.
0: Pish posh.
2: I could take them myself. That's so cute. <laughs> oh, Australia nearly had that many casualties made. Yeah. But mobilisation greatly increased its size to more than 5 million by the Whoa. war's end. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's
2: uh, nuts. Yeah, so that by this time in November 1918, when they were they were you know marching through, approximately 460,000 were killed and 955,000 were wounded in the conflict. So... <sighs> Getting pushing up towards one and a half million casualties and deaths. Uh, Wild, and they didn't. They didn't even start. They were neutral at the start of the war. Yeah, so they had some full-on battles. Um, So now, Austria-Hungary are are gone. Mm. Not only out of the war, but they don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, So Germany is running out of allies pretty quick. (laughs) Guys, (laughs) guys, where are you going? Uh, and it, soon it was their turn, uh, again from History.com, by November 1918, both the Allies and the Central Powers who'd been battering each other for four years were pretty much out of gas. I love that language on History.com. Oh, yeah. yeah, out of gas. They you know how to the talk. out
0: of
1: juice.
2: But there's also, you got to remember, apart from the wars, there's also this flu that's just tearing through as well. That's crazy. Uh, German offensives that year had been defeated with heavy casualties and in late summer and fall, the British, French and US forces had pushed them steadily back. With the United States able to send more and more fresh troops into combat, fresh the germ,
0: fresh Fre- no, fresh is just such a weird way to describe people going to their death. You
2: yeah, know? yeah. I, <laughs> we got bit... some
0: fresh ones. Okay. Where's the
2: humanity?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so the Germans were outmatched as as Germany's allies crumbled around them as well. The war's outcl- outcome seemed clear. In late 1918, popular unrest in Germany. Um, combined with a naval mutiny, which is a whole other thing, the German Navy went on strike. Far and, out. You know, anyway, so that's not ideal.
0: And you know what Navy has? Subs.
1: Oh, no, you've lost
2: your subs. They
0: are
1: stupid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't have subs. Who cares? Who
0: cares? Whoop-de-frickin-do. Yeah. Good. <laughs>
2: So this unrest in Germany, in the German population, convinced civilian political leaders that the Kaiser had to abdicate to preserve order. In fact, Wilhelm's abdication was announced on November 9th, 1918, before he had actually consented to it. it oh, a, well, they put
1: out the press release yeah. and he was reading it going, hang on, what? Wait. He,
0: f- he found <laughs> out in, it's on the, the in the local mag. yeah.
2: Uh, he agreed. Sorry, can I get a copy of that? That was on like his
1: Instagram feed. He's like, What the fuck? I'm gonna make a few Ooh. changes
2: here, no. We can't allow sorry. any of that, sorry. I this have not signed this. Has to be read sorry verbatim. Oh. Uh but he agreed to leave when the leaders of the army told him he'd lost their support as well. On November the tenth, the former emperor took a train across the board so this is his story ends it's he's like at the at the end of the um Empire of yeah. Germany, but his, he gets to live out his life. On November the 10th, the former emperor took a train across the border into the Netherlands, which had remained neutral throughout the war. He eventually bought a manor house in the town of Dorne and remained there for the remainder of his life.
0: Okay. All right. So he did okay.
2: Yeah. I mean, in some ways.
0: Yeah. that Was, was that Wilhelm?
2: That's Wilhelm. So
0: he did better than his cousin. Yes. Much better. Willie
2: did better than Nicky. Willie and yeah. Nicky. Uh, So, so wouldn't it have been nice if they both just got exiled and they could keep sending each other telegrams? Oh, really? So, I really feel for Nicholas. I mean, I feel for everyone (laughs) because I'm an empath. Um, (laughs) So, the following... So, this is the 10th of November. Remember, remember the 10th of November. Yes. Following day. Ah. Pretty important date, you might recall. Remember, remember the 11th of November. In Australia, it's called Remembrance Day. Apparently, it's called Armistice Day elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, it's also called i think it's called veterans day in america and they they use it to remember all the the major wars i think now anyway um according to history.com this is why it's an important date germany agreed to harsh terms uh, when sorry did i say <laughs> let me say that on the 11th of november they signed an armistice agreement with the allies and they agreed to harsh terms. The Germans agreed to pull their troops out of France, Belgium, and Luxembourg within 15 days or risk becoming prisoners of the Allies. They had to turn over their arsenal, including 5,000 artillery pieces, 25,000 machine guns, and 1,700 airplanes. You know, all the, they had great planes in they Dave. you you tell us about a few weeks ago? That's right. But the Red Baron, he's uh, he's long gone by this time. That's right. Uh, as well as how fa- many
0: submarines they have to hand over? Uh,
2: I don't know if that have yeah. to hand over submarines. Yeah, because
0: the Allies were like, "Don't worry <laughs> don't
2: about it." U boats.
0: Yeah, I don't want to fucking have to store them. <laughs>
2: always pictured boats in the shape of a U. Yeah, always. Yeah. Even even though I know is that they're submarines.
0: Underwater boat is that why it's called a U boat? I
2: think it's a German, long German word. For yeah, what is that word? Uh, is it for underwater? Umbrecht or something like that. Is it Dave? You want to look? Does that it up?
0: mean underwater? Probably. If it doesn't mean underwater, it's like, what the fuck is the point of it's submarines? Probably
2: something like unter, unter water Because <laughs> <laughs> our languages are actually quite related.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> Prepare yourself, Jess. Oh, my God. U-boat is an anglicized version of the German word U-boot, a shortening of Unter-sea-boot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Under-sea. <the> <laughs>
1: Unterseeboot.
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> it's a, literally an underwater boat.
2: <laughs> I don't understand your trouble with it. I, I just think they're a bit silly. I understand how you don't like accountants more than this, and I like accountants. They do fine work. I just think Untersibut. Uh, seaboot. I, I just
0: think there's something that when you think too much about them, as I obviously have, you go that's a bit silly. What do you
2: think of fish? They're like underwater.
0: Oh my god, fish are beings. dumb, aren't they? I really? Just
2: it's just things underwater. People I don't in like a bath.
0: underwater. <laughs> no, because you're only you're only partially submerged. Oh, okay.
2: So like divers. S- scuba diving?
0: Don't like it.
2: Don't like it. But no, snorkeling, fine. Okay, because you've got the the pipe hanging out the top. Yeah. Maybe to the back get, of your head. You
0: come out every now and then go. Right.
1: <laughs> Did you come across
0: That's how I snorkel anyway.
1: Yeah. Boo. Yes, David. Um, I don't know if you're going to talk about this. Uh, it's, I just thought of it, and I was like, better fact check that this thing I heard is actually correct. The Compiègne wagon,
2: no. where they signed the armistice. Oh yeah, I did read read about it. But uh, yeah, it was it. The, just to get there, they had to, they you know they had to, telegram ahead and go, hey, yeah. we want to come and meet about it, signing an armistice, and they'd been talking about it for months, and then they, um, so they're driving through no man's land in France, like. Weaving through, you know, the barbed wire and massive craters in the yeah. ground and stuff is how I'm picturing it. And then they caught an overnight. They had to get into a French bus, then an overnight train. They were like traveling nonstop. And the the uh, politicians or the the representatives of Germany who went there, no one really wanted to do it because they're going to like. And the guy, the the guy who headed it, he ended up getting murdered by uh, an extremist. German group within a few years, I think.
0: Oh, shit.
2: Just because he was the guy who was there who yeah. signed the deal. Wow. Well, it had to be someone. Yeah.
1: I just bring it up because um, so they, they signed in a train carriage on November the 11th, 1918. Yes. And then it went into a museum. Oh. And then when Hitler came to power, he said, oh, let's take it out of the museum. And then when they invaded France in 1940 and Germany were victorious over France, like they invaded Paris or that sort of stuff. He put the train back in exactly the same spot and made the French people sign the oh. the new agreement, but with Germany victorious this time in wow. exactly the same place as a power move.
2: What a! What? I've, I've <laughs> said it before. Hitler's such a bitch. What a bitch! A
1: bitch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he brought it out. It was like, well, I guess uh, like the glove is on the
1: other foot. <laughs> 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 Under seaboot. <laughs>
2: He yeah, I mean he we don't mention, but he was obviously he was fighting for the I think the Bavarian army or something. uh, Oh shit! I didn't even
0: think about that.
2: Yeah, Um, I
0: forgot Hitler was around. That's right.
2: Yeah, I sort
0: of feel like he just kind of appeared, you know, and then disappeared. Yeah,
2: but he was he was a he was a boy. Yes, he grew up and yeah, it's it's funny. He had dreams of being an artist and all that sort of stuff. So. That's what they say. If he was better at art, yeah. the world would have been a very different place.
0: If only he was better at art. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, the people, who, this must be a concept of comics done before, but people always talk about, you see heaps of people do the, some version of the joke about mm-hmm. go back and kill baby Hitler. If we go back and, and give him better tutoring.:
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, just give him praise
2: praise so yes. you won. Right. tell him it's good who cares
1: yeah, who cares mate? this
2: is fantastic like, wow yeah you said you just You're take amazing. cash back and yeah, you set up a buy, gallery and just yeah,
0: buy all his work especially with inflation if you took back like a hundred grand back yeah. then
2: they'd be like what is this <laughs> what is this weird money
0: oh yeah <laughs> and there's no like you can't exchange it can you?
2: No, you well you just if you put it into a bank back then and then withdraw it from one of their ATMs
0: okay <laughs> okay Dave, we've solved it. <laughs> Great. So right,
2: history for the better. So you're right Dave, they they've they're they're doing this on this carriage. It's an amazing. Sort of, <laughs> so, I just, yeah. sorry,
1: I just remember hearing that being like what an asshole. Yeah, it's just
2: like man, it's, what is this about? It's just like the, the belief that Germany deserves Yeah. like he added in his head that it's mm. uh it's sort of it's it, it had a, a right or a reich to be there, I guess. <laughs> Punking. <laughs> um so I, I, the list goes on about the things they had to give over. 5,000 trucks, 150,000 wagons. They also had to give up... Uh, 60,000 Big Macs. <laughs> to go. Put, put a joke one in there. See if they do it.
1: <laughs> no, they did it. <laughs> pull out right. all the
2: blue M&Ms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they also agreed to the indignity of Allied forces occupying German territory along the Rhine, where they would stay until 1930. And that was seen as, you know, there were... People in Germany, I'm guessing, sounds like maybe Hitler was one of them who was <laughs> like, this is a real kick in the teeth. Um, So then a few months later, the war's now over, Boppa. It's done. Wow. But the, the aftermath, so people are celebrating, obviously.
0: Ending of war, that's good. Every,
2: people, are, people A lot of people celebrating, but they're also like almost definitely loved ones that have died from, yes. everyone knows multiple people who have died in countries all around the world, so mm-hmm. it's. Sort of celebrating, but it's also like, holy fuck, well, that was fucking hectic. Uh, a couple Probably of mu- word for word what people said. Yeah.
0: Holy fuck. Oh. That was fucking hectic, <laughs> eh? <Growth.
2: laughs> uh Two months later, a conference was held at Versailles outside of Paris, or Paris, uh, to work out the final peace treaty. But things didn't go smoothly as the disparate allied powers attending the conference all wanted different things. Huh. Uh, so
0: hang on, people who've just been at war, yeah, are now coming together and they're like, and they all want different things. Mm.
2: Hmm. It's funny, especially like Britain and France, who've been enemies for so long. It's weird they don't want yeah everything to go exactly ah, the same as baffling. each other. Very strange. But it took my it took a lot of negotiating between the allies. God. They eventually agreed on a position. It's from History.com, another History.com article. In the agreement that was signed in June, vanquished Germany was forced to accept harsh terms, including paying reparations that eventually amounted to $37 billion. Whoa! In, in 1918 money, or 1919 <laughs> money, nearly $492 billion today. Shit. Uh, that humiliation and the lasting bitterness it engendered helped pave the way Another world war, two de- decades later. Wait, what? I
1: think, like, two days later.
2: <laughs> That's it. We're invading. So yeah, and I—I I mean, I've—I feel like we all need a break, listeners and us, probably, from the war stuff. But I—I'd I, be interested in doing maybe in a year or something, do, doing a similar sort of World War II series. Anyway, well, let us know, listeners. If, if uh, I imagine there's some of you out there going please, enough of no. the war. Get but back I'm, to I'm talking about,
0: little stories. talking
2: about down the track because I, I would be, I've learned so much. Mm. Uh, well, the director of the History Channel is loving this. Yeah. Keep it going. Uh, well, speaking of, another History.com article continues. At the Paris Peace Conference in 1919, Allied leaders stated their desire to build a post-war world that would safeguard itself against future conflicts of such devastating scale. Not super successfully. Some hopeful participants had even begun calling World War I the war to end all wars, oh, which it's yeah. still known as now. I know,
0: but never. Why do you do that? You're jinxing the unsinkable it. ship. <laughs> yeah. Like, sh- what,
2: shut up. <laughs> That's right. Shut
0: up. Now we're definitely going to have way more wars. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let me tell you, I think we did have a few more wars. Yeah, we had what? a couple.
2: Uh, Yeah, and all these decisions that were made at this time have just set up the world for multiple more wars. Um, Almost non-stop fighting. Uh, Because before this, there was hardly any.
0: It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why we fight each other so much. Like, because it's sort of like, it's like... Getting into a fight with a sibling, but you're, like, in the car on a long drive. Like, you get over the fight, but you still have to both sit next to each other. Yeah. You know? Like, we can't move countries to a different planet. We still have to all be next to and each then other. And
2: you're like, mm, hope they don't seek revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Make me sit on the same train cart. But I think, I mean... But that is, I mean, that says something, right? They, the Allies, were too brutal to Germany after this, and that's sort of that's the common it's a wisdom big part, now. Yeah. If they, if they did what uh, old mate Woodrow said, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson, and and were just made it like less of losers and winners and more just, hey, this is what we're going, we're going for peace. Yeah. Because you can blow the world to pieces, uh-huh. but you can't blow the world. To peace. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who's Wait. that from again? Michael
2: Franti. What, what a kind guy? of blow are we talking? Oh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Rack them up.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh
2: You
0: could do that to peace. I
2: bet. I bet the uh, the Versailles Treaty Lotta. signing there would have just been everyone. It's it's not really signed until everyone's done a line. <laughs> <laughs> Sign on the dotted line, <laughs> and they're winking at each other. Someone's like, like, "We yeah, we all get it." I'm very confused. Wait, what? <laughs> uh so yeah so the so it was signed on june 28th 1919 did not achieve these lofty goals Saddle, saddled with war guilt heavy reparations and denied entrance into the league of nations germany felt tricked into signing the treaty having believed any peace would be peace without victory as put forward by president wilson in the 14 point speech from the year prior the one that was d- translated into german and and all the everyone was oh yeah they're there. like oh yeah cool yeah that, I think that was sounds good because the the other option was they they didn't have to end the war they could have just kept fighting and, and retreating back to Berlin but they were also nervous that you know they didn't they wanted the war to end but they also thought it, ending it now might have been a, a slightly more equal result mm. but it just was was like they're like nah <laughs> we we win and now you've got to wear a dress, you know? Yeah. Dance. Look funny. <laughs> hey, I'm going to give you a funny hat. you got to wear a hat that says, I'm a loser. <laughs> uh, as the years passed, hatred of the Versailles Treaty and its authors settled into a smouldering resentment in Germany that would two decades later be counted among the causes of World War II. Uh, I talked a little bit earlier about how China was in part, uh, in part of the war – ...partially to get an invite to this peace conference afterwards. And they did do that, but according to the Smithsonian... ...China was only given two seats at the Paris Peace Conference... ...whereas Japan had five. Uh, Since the latter had contributed combat troops... uh, ...that's why they got the extra seats... Which is the thing that they didn't let China do, right? Yeah. But they essentially did do that. They just called them laborers. Well, they didn't. They weren't fighting. They were, you know, right. they were digging trenches. They were fixing machines. They were, you know, they were laboring. Big part of the yeah. There's a lot of troops yeah. still as yeah. well as that stuff. They just didn't hold uh, weapons, I guess. Uh, matters only devolved from there, and the Western powers ultimately awarded Shandong to Ch- uh, Japan. China saw the move as a rejection of its demand to be recognized as an equal player in global politics and as, as an affront to its sovereignty. According to Professor Zhu, who we talked about before, China was deeply angry at the Versailles Treaty and was the only country at the post-war peace conference to refuse to put a signature on it. This article also talks about this was a real turn, fork in the road for China, and, but it, rather than bringing them in to Europe and the world stage and being like democracy and all this sort of stuff, potentially this is the time where they started moving the other way uh, um, into um, what's it called? What, the thing with what's the thing they do now? Reds, Reds under the bed. Oh, communism! Communism. Thank you. I wasn't sure which way you were going to describe their their political system. Well, I think it, I think it was, I think that's sort of the way it went. Yeah, sure. Which I guess, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I'm going off this little bit of an article. It's in the show notes. <laughs> but yeah, that that was interesting to me. It's like, so you're sort of saying if they just went. At that time, they're like, China, welcome. Good China. to see you. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> Please.
0: Take a seat. Please. Take a loader.
2: Like, who knows? But it's just an interesting idea that how many things change because of this meeting and how this meeting went. Mm. Uh, if, if Germany was brought into the League of Nations, would they and, and weren't um, sort of made to feel so awful about losing and embarrassed, basically, they sort of got shamed a bit in that. And then they seeked their vengeance or they set up the possibility for them to do that. Because it was they put got in so much debt that the people of Germany got poor, right? Like they were really struggling because they were paying these billions and billions.
1: Yeah, right. Of after you've yeah, just crazy. lost a big war. Like that would have cost so you
2: heaps. When the people well. are struggling, they're looking for scapegoats and answers and you know, that's how uh, I guess. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure the listeners by now know that I do not, <laughs> but sorta of get what I'm maybe same. I don't know. All right. Well, just to finish off, let's finish on a high note. Here are some numbers about World War One casualties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, History.com summarizes this. World War One took the lives of more than 9 million soldiers. 21 million more were wounded. Civilian casualties numbered close to 10 million. Uh, the two nations most affected were Germany and France. <laughs> Obviously, that, that Western Front was... Uh, real bad, mm. um, each of which sent some 80% of their male populations between the ages of 15 and 49 into battle. No, mate, 15 and 49, 15.
0: 80%. Wow. Jesus.
2: The political disruption surrounding World War One also contributed to the fall of four venerable imperial dynasties, which we mentioned but worth repeating, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Russia and Turkey. The world was totally changed. Yeah. In four years it was just... Then there was all the, you know, the technological advances and all sorts of things as well. Maybe that would have been a more positive thing to finish on, but anyway, that is the end of the epic two-parter about World War 1.
1: Yes. You did it, Matt. Well done. They, and I mean I said it could not be done, and yet you did it.
2: Yeah.
0: How do you feel? Great work.
2: I feel like I feel like I'm I'm going to regret I'm going to learn more in, in coming weeks and wish I put different things in, but I guess you can't have everything in there. Now, why no. would you
0: possibly return to reading about it? Uh, it's done.
2: What You know, when you Google a lot of things, I, uh, my phone will start yeah. going, here's an article about World War One. I'll be like, oh, shouldn't read it, but I will. I probably will, yeah. Uh, yeah, and obviously just hitting up the History Channel, wherever you can watch that. Oh, of course. On the TV, probably. Probably. Yeah. So I, mean, there's all sorts of things we didn't talk about. Dave, you mentioned briefly before we started recording the Easter uprising in Ireland. I th- I've put that up for the vote multiple times. I still feel like that'll be its own report one day. Yeah. But uh, and you know a million other small stories. But uh, yeah, it's just a it's a real sad tale, and it's a, it's just amazing to think about how it's just this smallish group of people weren't quite able to sort out the. Differences and 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 then didn't really learn lessons and, and and it happened all again. Yeah, twenty years later or whatever, or well, not even twenty years later. Yeah, just over twenty years later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's as hard for the
1: people at home. We turned off the tape for half an hour and uh, <laughs> <laughs> brought out the blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got the abacus mm. out. Yeah. Um, no, I'm honestly impressed with uh, with your research there, Matt. I know. You have
2: basically read every article on history. Uh, history Channel. If I could shout out uh, one person who helped me through all of this, it would be MrHistory.com. Oh, what?
1: I mean, or misses Do what they say on
2: the tin. Um, yeah, no, that, <laughs> what a resource. So uh, that, all, that was all, really, really good. Check out the show notes if you want to read a bunch of articles. But I mean, you just use Google also as another option.
0: Yeah, Google it yourself. But
2: history.com is a. Yeah, is Don't make Matt so do all good. the
0: work for you.
2: We find out this week that history.com is just <laughs> is just a made up. Some, yeah. some guys just typing nonsense out. I'm <laughs> oh, <Mr>. History.com. <laughs> That's really just one guy. It's one dude. Um, then, uh, yeah, China had two seats. Um, Japan had five <laughs> seats. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that, that sounds, sounds like right. something, right? Yeah. Versailles. I mean, that's a pretty funny sounding place. That could be real. <laughs> oh. um, uh, train carriage. Yeah, that'll come back. Yeah, that sounds pretty epic. Yeah, yeah, we'll put that in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, great. Well, I think that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show, the fact, quote, or question section. And I think it has a jingle that goes somewhere like this.
0: Fact, quote, or question.
2: Ding. Mm, he always remembers the ding. The way to get involved in this is to go to patreon.com slash do go on pod or do go on pod.com and sign up on the Sydney Schoenberg Deluxe Memorial Edition package level. There's about five levels, I think, at last count. Who can keep up? Uh, and uh, all sorts of different price points, price points, <laughs> price ranges. Oh, this is the air real. salesman <laughs> coming through. Uh, you I haven't been in the salesman game for a long time, but uh, it's all come back to me now. You never forget. I'll leave you with the brochure and uh, (laughs) call me if you've got any questions. Thank (laughs) you so much. Uh, (laughs) Just ABC. (laughs) Always be cucking. Conditioning. Conditioning. Be conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) You say that as you shake the hand and wink at them. Uh, (laughs) Another sale. Another job well done, Stuart. So... uh, the supporters on there, uh, they keep this show running, and we love them all, individually and collectively. And you get all sorts of different uh, bonuses. We're about to record a bonus episode straight after this, which will be out uh, maybe already, actually. Yeah, and, it will be. Uh, you'll be able, you're able to get back, and there's like a hundred odd Well, what do I tell you, this episodes.
1: is the 100th bonus oh, episode. Oh, there you go. And they are still available, so if you want to, you know you got a long drive coming up. <laughs> yeah. you run out of Jingle one podcast. I know some
2: of our best ever episodes are in there as well, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Jeff the Talking Mongoose. The, Mongoose, the uh, 9.04 <laughs> Olympic Marathon. Uh, the Killdozer. Kill- the Killdozer. Yeah. The History of the Nanny.
1: <laughs> uh, yes. The Power
2: Rangers Curse. <laughs> oh, the Power Rangers Curse, that's right. So so many great stories. Uh, was, there was something about, was there a foot? Mystery of feet washing oh, up. Oh, yeah,
1: the Salish Seafoot Mysteries, where lots of uh, feet have washed up on the west coast of Canada and uh, North uh, USA. And we've just put the most recent episode, like a uh, report, was about the ice block expedition of 1959. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Where a, a Norwegian company decided <laughs> to, basically for a publicity stunt, uh, transport a 3,000-kilo block of ice from the Arctic Circle through the Zahara desert and down into uh, modern day Gabon onto the equator without refrigeration
2: amazing i want to see if their insulation was up to the test it's a great that was a great, great it was one. awesome yeah. i think the one i laughed the maybe the time i laughed the most last year was the Siegfried and roy at <laughs> bonus episode oh that's right they had they <laughs> yeah had a a wild you know, life story. There's D and D. We did a D and D campaign. Anyway, there's a lot of a lot of stuff on there. Go check it out. Um, but the reward you get, as well as those bonus episodes on the Sydney Schoenberg level, is you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. Uh, <coughs> first up, we've got Brett. <coughs> Brett, uh, bless you, Wall. That's his nickname from from me. Brett, <laughs> bless you, Wall. Uh, uh, no. Who's given himself a different nickname, the man. With the condom-eating dog. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I think I know this guy, Brett. Uh, I've spoken to your mum. All right. Um, About the condom-eating dog? Yes. What? Uh, I wonder if this will explain it. Just, so, just in case he does, I'll read it out first. And if he doesn't, I'll explain it. Uh, Brett's asked a question. His question is, hey, everyone. At the beginning of 2020, my dog ate a used condom. Of he is going yeah, he's going to explain. Yeah, he's going to explain it. All right, great. <laughs> my dog ate a used condom of mine.
1: Oh, Brag. <laughs> <laughs> what did you use it for? Be specific. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, that was a that was a weird request there, Dave. Uh,
1: <laughs> but imagine if it was for something else. All right, so I'd run out of that little funnel thing that you use to put, uh, uh, you know, cream on tops of a cake. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I put, put a little soon. pinhole in the bottom. They were expired anyway because I haven't used them in so many
2: years. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning of 2020, my dog ate a used condom of mine and it was very upsetting whenever it threw it up in front of my mum. When it? Whenever. Yeah. Yeah. It was what, like did it did did multiple it off, times? Off. <laughs> was this
1: like a regular meal for your dog?
0: Stop <laughs> like feeding your dog condoms.
2: He said, I ended up getting Matt to do a cameo for her just to cement the, mo- the moment in our lives. So Cameo is yeah. the, like, uh, it's like this app where people can get me or add others. <laughs> well, yeah, me or celebrities. <laughs> the Soup Nazi's on there as well.
0: Other celebrities like Matt Stewart.
2: Yeah, other big deals. To, to, uh, to do a message. And I had to message his mum and apologise to her for, for him. <laughs> that's very good. That's, um, that's good use of technology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, He says, my mum is the greatest person in my life, and she's also a huge fan of the show. Ah, that's cool. I wanted to start 2021 the same way we started 2020 with you guys. Can you please say hello to my mum, Lisa Lee, and tell her how awesome she is? She doesn't know about this, so I'm hoping it will be a good surprise. Thanks. Hey Lisa Lee!
0: Hi Lisa. Lisa
2: was so funny because she then um, got me to do a return message. Oh my
0: <laughs> god! Do these two ever talk to each other? <laughs> the return,
2: the return message was uh, it was something like, "Get a job and move out." It was, it was so fun.
0: Very good, classic mum gear.
2: Yeah, I, I actually I believed it. I wonder if I wonder if that was true. What a way to find out! <laughs> hey, mate, sorry to be the one I have to tell you this, but you are getting kicked Get, out of home.
0: Move <laughs> out. You've got three months.
2: So, oh, hello once again, Lisa Lee. You, you rule, Lisa, Lee. Lee. Lisa Lee.
0: Sorry that happened, um, but it seems like you're That's... both in pretty good spirits about it. Sounds it. like
1: you got a pretty cool son, if you know what and I mean. And
0: you're a cool mum. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you mean cool son? And, cause he had sex.
1: And yeah, and, and what a cool dog. Because all dogs are cool. That's true. I just hope the dog was the dog okay. Do
2: you I know that. Think my dog I would think be the dog's okay. Weird. Yeah,
0: pardon. I think my dog would. I don't think he'd be very
1: cool. Your dog's a nerd. Yeah. No condoms for your
0: dog. De- no condoms for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's never getting one. Raw dog in it. <laughs> <laughs> Is
1: that where
2: it comes from? <laughs> uh, thank you, Brett Wall. Thank you, Lisa Lee. Uh, the next one comes from Michael Dorisi. He's given himself the title of Junior Chief Pencil Pusher. And he's also asking a question. <laughs> I like it. Oh, this is interesting, especially considering who was meant to be doing the report <laughs> this week. Uh, Michael asks, oh, hang on. Yeah, no, I've given him his title. Michael asks, can you guys get Naomi Higgins or Danielle Walker to guest host on the pod after the pandemic? Thanks. Genuinely, she was... She was booked in to do tonight. This is Naomi. Naomi, was, Naomi yeah. that was yeah. Uh, the World War One episode was initially going to be one long one, and then Naomi couldn't end up doing it. And I'm like, I, I can, I can <laughs> make it a double. And then in the last, uh, since we recorded the first one, I yeah, really expanded it into probably almost was getting towards being able to do three weeks. <laughs> But, yes, you we definitely can. can. Na- Naomi will be hopefully um, doing a report soon.
0: Sometime soon, yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah. Uh, great, great request there, Michael.
0: would love to have Danielle on as well. She has moved to Sydney, which makes it a little bit harder, but not impossible. I didn't
1: know
2: that. Damn.
0: Yeah, she just moved a couple of months ago. We lost her. I know. Lost another good one. <laughs>
3: oh, she'll be back.
2: Uh, this one comes from Jordan Nassi, who, uh, firstly, giving himself the title of the one who makes sure Dave remembers the ding and purveyor of fucked facts. Oh,
0: Oh dear. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, here's a, here is Jordan's fact. Oh, I don't like how this starts. Sorry, this is very long and very fucked. I don't like either of those things. Oh, dear. The attack of the dead men was a battle. Oh, it's a World War One battle. That works. The attack of the dead men was a World War I battle that took place at the Ossowek or Ossowek fortress in northeast Poland. The German soldiers were waiting for the air to pick up before launching a gas attack at the unsuspecting Russian com- combatants. When they did attack, the invasion began with artillery bombardment combined with chlorine gas. These gases are some of the things I didn't really go into, but I think everyone decided afterward, we're not going to do any of those
3: yeah, that do that gas again. stuff
2: and again, and anymore. Uh, the Germans attacked with 14 battalions of infantry, sappers, siege guns, and artillery. The Russians had around 900 men defending the fortress. Most of the Russian soldiers had either no mask or poorly made gas masks that would soon prove to be no help at all when the Germans attacked with the fumes, the Russians had zero protection. Because the gas mixed with the water in the air and the water in the lungs of the Russian defenders, the Russian soldiers just didn't uh, didn't just choke on the gas. It turned the chlorine into hydrochloric acid, which began to melt their lungs and throats of the soldiers. Ooh. Their skin began to peel, resulting in the entire fortress scrambling to halt their decomposition with red rags. Oh, man. Blood and skin soaked the earth, plants and birds lay dead in the field. Tree leaves turned brown, the grass became black, and men outside the fort died uh, shortly while the gas entered their respiratory system, dissolving their lungs, and literally started melting them from the inside out. Around a hundred of the now furious and dying Russian soldiers survived. The Russians not only stood their ground, but they also prepared a counter-strike all while falling apart. History reveals that around 100 soldiers remained to stave off the 7,000 German soldiers as they advanced on the fort. Holy shit. So they ended up holding them off. Wow. That is a, like you said. That's very, a fucked fact. Very fucked. Very fucked fact. But you are a purveyor of such things. Yeah, so, so
0: we would expect nothing less of you.
2: Uh Okay, and finally this week, this one comes from Nathan Damon. Well,
0: good luck following that, Nathan. <laughs>
2: uh, well, he's got the title of Dugon's number one ticket holder, and he's given us a quote, and it's nice no, and short.
0: Not many people give quotes. No, I I'm excited about I reckon it's definitely Nathan. the
2: lowest amount. I reckon. All right. Uh, the quote is. Right place at the right time. And that quote is from Andrew Gaze on Matt, Your Heroes. Ah. <laughs> that was Andrew Gaze, how he described, how he uh, justified his career guess I was just in the right place at the right time. He played like, at the top level for 20 years or something.
0: Yeah, right place, right. It's all about who you know. <laughs> no, yeah, I think yeah, you're like, incredibly good. I'm a
2: really good networker. Yeah. <laughs> You've got records across all lines in Australian basketball. I
1: actually just got discovered <laughs> in a food court. <laughs> right place, right time. I was just like, like you know, throwing a drink into a bin and someone said, hey, you could do that for the next 20 years. Come You've with me. Got it. <laughs> Come with me.
2: It's funny because, like, even then you still had to do it. Yeah bit Of luck, so I... humble, he's so humble. Yeah, what a legend, what a bloody legend.
0: That's great. How does it feel to be, uh, for one of your projects to be quoted
2: in the fact? Quite a question that means a lot. Yeah. How does it feel to be Andrew Gaze's best friend? Yeah,
0: how's that feel?
2: That feels very good, too.
0: Wow, <laughs> do you reckon he'd come to my birthday party?
1: <laughs> can you bring Andrew Gaze to Jess's birthday party and then I can meet him, assuming I'm invited as well? No.
2: I got oh. someone at, at the gig tonight. Do you know, you know Matt Hardy? He's an Aussie comic and Saints fan. He was at the gig tonight. <laughs> and Saints fan. And Saints fan. <laughs> he's, like, written a book about the Saints. and right, okay. So he's but good. at the gig tonight, he, go, he came up to goes, you the guy that interviewed Frankie Peckett? <laughs> I'm like, I am. That was, fu- that was
0: that's fun. That's nice.
2: Yeah, because he's, like, he's, like, he's one of his favourites as well. I'm like, that's sick. Love that's your taste. Great. Big yeah,
0: and a, f- a beautiful friendship was formed.
2: And then he saw me bomb. Yeah. Um Nah. Then he saw me do fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on. Let's be. Come on. Let's be truthful. And here. I sunk out. It went <laughs> fine, which is honestly an absolute win.
2: Yeah. In these times. Yeah. No, I've I've no not, one's crushed. I've in not. These I've times. not bombed since COVID. I think COVID's you been you good for me. Have you crashed? Have
0: you crushed? Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Matt. Yes. I'm not talking about and
2: crushed boxes
0: I'm, for the recycling.
2: Jess, and I'm humble.
0: <laughs> wow. He's really crushed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, that uh, takes us to the point where we thank a few of our other great supporters on Patreon, maybe on the uh ass prod level. Yes. <laughs> I say DB Cooper every time, and you it's, always correct me. It's
0: asked, Prod. Well done. There's uh, no need for me anymore. Bye, guys.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you just, like, go up <laughs> into the sky.
0: I ascend. <laughs> uh,
2: so, <laughs> Jess, you know when we come up with a little game mm. based on the report last week, Dave gave everyone a superpower <laughs> That's country.
0: right. I don't think we'll do that. So I think in stuff. the end
2: it wasn't really the superpowers. It was just naming uh, belligerents.
1: I mean, we ran out of superpowers.
0: Well, what could it you be You never did
2: Austria-Hungary. What could it be?
0: What this could it, it be? Um, uh, Whoa, what's,
2: uh, uh, what about... Uh, <laughs>
0: it's a hard one.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to think. There what,
0: were no fun nicknames in there that I could think yeah,
2: of. Yeah, well, because I'm not really going into the individuals exactly, all that much. It's more yeah. like an over overhead sort of thing. Hmm. What
1: about their nickname if they were in oh. the royal family? Is there, yes. Like, we've got Nikki
2: Willie. Nicky, Willie. It. Okay. Yep. love it. Are what, they yeah, what gonna...
0: their cousins would call them in
1: a yeah. in a telegram. Yeah, they're signing off being like, "Yours truly, Nikki." Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, that is going to end up being a lot of their actual nicknames, but we'll see how we go with this. All right, kicking off first from Ridgecrest in California in the United States, Samantha Martino. Cuz we can't just go Sammy, can we? Ricky.
0: Ricky. Is Ricky Martins? Oh, Ricky number. Martino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what are you seeing there, Maddie?
2: Ricky Don't Lose That Number? Ah. I don't know what it is. Is it from that band you mentioned last week, Foreigner? No. Ricky
3: Don't Lose talking, That he,
2: Number? Is that, <laughs> isn't that... Are you thinking Phil Collins? <laughs> no, that's Su-Su-Studio. Uh... Su-su studio. <laughs> uh Steely Dan. Oh, I, know, I had that in my head because I watched John Mulaney tell a story on some late night show where he goes to see Steely Dan every year, and I'm like, do I know every any Steely year. Dan songs? Right. And I looked up and I knew a lot of them. One of them was Ricky Don't
3: Lose Number.
1: Oh, okay. In my defense, Phil Collins does have a song called Billy Don't You Lose My Number. And that's that's
2: very, very different, wow. Dave. Oh, yes. Embarrassingly so. Yes. Very, different.
1: <laughs> Jess really <Dave>. flipped there. He
2: <laughs> <laughs> really went Italian there. Billy. <laughs> Billy, don't you lose my number. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, da da
2: da da da. <laughs> now that found you. Yeah, they're different songs. <laughs> what a world we live in. I'm just. Just figure that out together. So, Ricky. Samantha. Ricky Martino. Mm. Hey, Ricky, just dropping you a line. Yeah. Let's not start a big deal over this. Yeah. Yes, I'm mobilizing my army along the border of your house. But but
0: just chill, girl.
2: (laughs) uh, I'd also love to thank from Houston, Texas, in the United States, Norman Paz. Norman Paz. Love that. What about...
1: Norman. I mean, now we're just giving nicknames, but it's going to be better than, you're right, rather just say, Normie. Yeah. Uh, Norman. Normie's not a good nickname. N- Normie, the Dispenser Paz. Oh. Yeah. The
2: Paz Dispenser. Yes,
0: I was thinking the same thing. Come on. Love yes. that.
2: Love the Dispenser. That. Yeah. The Dispenser. Yours truly, nickname. the Dispenser. Yeah, maybe we give him their soldier, soldier nickname.
1: The Dispenser.
2: So are we sticking with Ricky for Samantha?
1: Yes. Ricky's good. That's a good name.
2: Uh, what was Ricky Martin's big song? Plum. Living La Vida yes. Loca. Killing La Vida Loca. <laughs> See, it becomes an army thing there. Wow. <laughs> uh, and finally, for me, I'd love to thank from Kingsville in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, Beck Taylor.
0: Beck Taylor the seamstress. Oh, okay. I like oh. that. Like Taylor.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't actually didn't get that, but I really like it. Yeah. That's true. And what does that mean,
2: war like? How how is how does that, Why translate that to... Why would it have to be
0: war? Maybe she was
2: Oh, she was actually fixing tents or something.
0: Yeah, or like their uniform uniforms have to be made at some point, don't they? Also... They like, don't just she, appear. I, I thought
2: Jim was maybe like cutting the enemy up and then stitching them
0: back together. Yeah. Or like she could kill
1: them in the, the night with like a pair of like uh, Knitting
2: needles.
0: Yes.
2: Beck, that's pretty sick. Actually. That's actually. And really... I don't mean that in a bad way.
0: Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> that's
2: actually gross. You Put it away, do that, back, Beck. Beck. Um,
0: can well? um, can I thank some people as well? Please. I would love to thank from Kerr Lewis in Victoria. Oh, I don't yeah, know where don't know that really. is.
2: Kerr Lewis. I'd
0: love to thank Julian McMahon Hyde.
2: Ah, oh, Julian McMahon Hyde, the. Uh, the brown bear, the, the grizzly bear,
0: grizzly bear hide oh, okay.
2: hide okay. over the winter. Yes, you know going into hibernation. Hibernation. Hibernation.
1: Yes, uh, but you got grizzly bear, and that's a cool name. Yes. Yeah, so that's who great. Cares? That's really
0: good. <laughs> so who cares?
1: <laughs> so who cares? So who cares the
2: the justification <laughs> stuff?
0: Yeah, who cares? <laughs> okay. Don't justify. Who cares, <laughs> who cares <laughs> that you're fumbling around? No nickname has a terrible. good story.
2: It just sounds good.
0: Don't worry about it.
2: The grizzly. Sorry, Cobra.
0: Love that. Yeah. yeah. Julian, mm. thank you so Just much. It's called Grizzly. Oh, grizzly.
2: I do like yeah, grizzly bear. Like that.
0: I would also love to thank from MA
2: Massachusetts.
0: Massachusetts. Or And so I was looking at that word originally thinking if it's English it's gonna be like Mar- Worcester, but if it's American, it's gonna be like Worcester.
2: There's uh
1: It is Massachusetts. Yes.
0: And I would love to thank Joy Flanagan. Joy
2: Flanagan. Oh. That's a good name. Joy Flanagan.
0: Uh, uh, oh, okay. F- yep.
2: No, you right. Uh, you. Well,
0: I'm thinking because her name's Joy. Yeah. It would be. There'd be some kind of. What? What do you
1: think? No, no, no. Game? I'm. i just thinking if you're on my page here. Yeah, yeah. There'd be some kind of. So
0: it's it's sort of like how redheads would get called blue. I think if her name's Joy, it's going to be something about sadness. Yeah. Right. You know,
2: glum, <laughs> glummy. glummy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, bloody
2: Glummy's here. <laughs> My name is Joy.
0: Uh, glummy's in the building.
2: That's good. My instinct was I was going to say the fiddler. I don't know why Flanagan just felt Irish. Yeah, F- okay. But I think Glummy's better. Joy, yeah. Glummy, Flanagan. You glummy.
0: Glummy is better.
1: <laughs> glummy sounds
2: good. <laughs> glummy. Does it? Mine Does was going to be. Glummy
1: sound good. I no. was going to be Joy, the nurse Flanagan. Because on, on Pokemon, remember, there was Nurse Joy.
2: Oh. No,
0: Dave. I don't know. Do you not remember that? No. Do you not remember that? I've had sex.
2: <laughs> Have you? There was yes. one called like Squidgy or something, but uh, that's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Squidgy Squidgy. <laughs> Squidgy one and Squidgy two.
0: <laughs> um, finally, for me, I would love to thank from Kings North in Great Britain, Emma Hargraves.
2: Emma Hargraves. Oh, so the Hargraves family is in the Umbrella Academy. So um, they've all got great names. What about the... I'm trying to remember any of them. Yeah,
0: I can't think of any of their names. They're like... V. Something comes with V.
2: Yeah, Vanya.
1: Vanya. But
2: she's the white violin. Yes. You know, they've all got a nickname as well.
1: Uncle Vanya. (laughs)
2: It's a Chekhov play, but it sounds good. Uncle Vanya is a nickname. All right, Uncle... (laughs) Emma, Uncle Vanya Hargrave. (laughs) Love
0: that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I
2: love a baffling (laughs) nickname.
0: Yeah. It's a good uh, conversation yeah, starter.
1: So, oh, why do they call you Uncle Vanya? Well, funny story, actually. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Boring story, actually. <laughs> Let uh, me take you through
1: it. <laughs> so it started with uh, the assassination of Aunt <laughs> Franz <laughs> Ferdinand.
2: <laughs> so,
1: Anya. Anya, Anya.
2: Vanya. Anya, Vanya.
1: Oh, I would like to thank a couple of people to bring us home now from Treville or Matraville in New
2: South Wales, Blake Utomo. Ooh. Ooh, Blake Utomo. Uh the shark. Blake Flake.
1: Yes, oh, the shark, the shark.
2: The shark like o
1: I mean, not the only thing. Probably shares the great Norman of wicked swing. Long dong. A huge dong. Huge <laughs> dong. <laughs> Congrats, Blake. Loves to get nude. Loves and why wouldn't you? <laughs> With a dog like that. Jesus, Blake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not like, your value, Blake. Not your Blake, value. Blake, it's
0: really late here. And <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes, is it.
2: it his value? Sorry, that was no, of
0: course not. I'm sorry that I, we said you had a big dong. It doesn't matter. It
2: doesn't matter. Not your value.
0: Unless you do, in which case, congrats. But if you don't, it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> it it only right. matters if you do. <laughs> Good on you. But if you don't, don't worry about it. But if you do, all righty, buddy boy. <laughs> If, if you not, do. no worries at all. <laughs> Blake is also, that's a that's a unisex name. Maybe you don't have a, a dong at all. And it's really, to be honest, none of our business it's none of our whether business. or not you have a dong. Yeah. And either
1: way, yeah. you've
2: got a sick nickname, The Shark. Yeah, The, the shark, shark
1: is also very
0: gender neutral. Blake Lively,
2: I think, is the only.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Blake is generally a, I don't know many Blakes. honest, Great name. Great I, name. I love love it. Name I want Blake. to see
0: more Blakes in the world. Blake. So get that big dong going.
2: Big, <laughs> we big need big more blakes energy. out
0: there. Oh god! I'll move on swiftly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would love to thank. Not swift enough, though. <laughs> I would love to thank <laughs> from, <swift> from <laughs> Berlin in Deutschland or Germany. We would like to
2: thank Shokri Francis Raouf. Hey Shokri, I feel like Shokri's been around with us for ages, but the jock. Oh, the shock, shock jock. jock. Yeah, it's great. The shock. The jock. jock.
1: The jock's a good That's good. The jock's yeah, good.
2: The jock. The strap. And strapper. what's inside
1: the jock? Anyway, we're moving on. Uh, Shockery, Francis Ray. Shockery, the jock. Inside the jock is a large dong. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's what I was
0: trying <laughs> I to move know. on from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Shukri, so let's bring it back. Appreciate you bring a lot. Bring it back. And your large dong. Bring
1: back the dong. <laughs> All these people have large dongs, can we just say. And finally, I'd love to thank from Deer Park here in Victoria, Tom Murray. The Dong. Tom the hey. Dong Murray. <laughs> Tom the
2: Dong Murray actually works really well. <laughs> <actually pretty> <laughs> Why do they call you the Dong? Funny story, actually, yeah. Uh, that's great, yeah. Deer Park, that's, uh, that's also in Melbourne town. Mm. Somewhere, I think, out in the west. So we're not that far away from the Dong. No. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Hey. You're never too far away from the dong, <laughs> as is its size. <laughs> <laughs> it's that big.
1: Ah, it's never far away. <laughs> well, do we have any members for oh. the Triptych Club oh, tonight? Yes,
2: we have a lot. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, so thank Dave, you. Dave, are you warmed up? I mean, I'll quickly explain, I guess, the Triptych Club. Dave's only saying great because. He's got to come up with gold for each of you. Uh, so if you've signed up and supported us on the shout out level for 3 straight years, you get welcomed into the Triptych Club. I'm standing at the door. I got the I got the clipboard, I got the guest list. I got the velvet rope ready to lift it for you as we tick you off. I'll say your name, then Dave hypes you up. He's your hype man. Hell yeah. Everyone comes in the Triptych Club feeling good, and if you're not feeling good, Dave will make you feel good. Dave obviously needs to be kept up And uh, (laughs) Jess does that with her hyping skills. Jess has also come up with a, you actually have quite a bit to do, Jess, an hors d'oeuvre and a drink.
0: Thank you for noticing. I actually do a lot of the heavy lifting at this fucking club. I'm just standing
2: with the the guest list and I'm I'm sort of schmoozing. You didn't even fucking print that list yourself, mate. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's on
0: the iPad. (laughs) Come on. It's not even hard. Anyway, yeah, well, last week we had rations. This week, um, we're we're out of
1: rations. (laughs) We went too hard on the rations. We really really should have rationed. Yeah, bit of self control, people. Fucking hell.
0: (laughs) So there won't be anything. But we've got
1: every other drink and all that. Oh, yeah, no. Fully
0: stocked bar and fridge.
1: I mean, we have a a (laughs) kitchen with six dozen chefs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's really no problem.
1: And they
2: all specialise in hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. And each week we put on a couple more because we've got more guests. Dave, you always book a band. Who have you got this week?
1: Uh, we have got uh, Phil Collins featuring Steely Dan, both playing their "My Number" song at the same time. Whoa! And A honestly, my number mash-up.
0: It's honestly seamless. Yeah.
1: But it's but it's also like uh, silent disco, so you can pick whichever "My yeah, Number" great. song you want to listen to. Perfect. Uh, and we should also have Foles on the stage playing
2: their "My Number" song.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Great, we Perfect. should. But I mean, you booked the lineup. Did you organize it? Why are you telling us what we should have?
0: Yeah. Is that what uh, we do
1: have, or is that what we should have had? We do have. Yes, here they are now. <laughs>
2: Wonderful. Foals. <laughs> 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 all
1: right, Dave. There's oh, literally there's so many. I was <laughs> Jules Holland oh my
0: there. God, Dave. There's so many.
2: <laughs> there are fourteen. Oh, Fuck off.
0: <laughs> I'll help. I'll help. <laughs> is that serious? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all
2: right. You ready? No, Dave. Oh, I need a bit of water here, Dave. They're you? all been waiting three years. I know. <laughs> no well, fopping off. Three years of my
1: of my life has also been building to this moment.
2: Yeah. I you reckon you're this. ready for this. Oh man, just looking down the list of names, you got a lot of gold to work with here. Oh,
1: don't say that. (laughs) The least natural hype man, Matt. (laughs) I know. Trying to set me up here.
2: Hey, let's switch roles one week and I will. (laughs) Do you want to do it this week? week. week. (laughs) I said one week, not not this week. It's 14. All right, you ready, Dave? You warmed up? up? Yes, I fucking need you.
0: You can do this. All right, first up
2: from Forked River in New Jersey. It's Marcos Vasquez. Well, wow, there was a fork in the road, and you chose the right side. Yes. Yeah,
1: we're off and
0: rolling, baby.
2: From Luton in Great Britain, it's singly named Will.
1: Well, you've been uh, looting all the bars of all the great people, and you've brought your good self here to our yes. club tonight. Yes.
2: All right, so start, but we'll keep going. Well, there's a will, there's a way. We don't yeah. need
0: commentary, Matt. We just need momentum. <laughs> keep going. I please. just want, I
2: just want Matt, them to get the Matt, welcome they deserve. Shut okay. Shut the fuck up. From (laughs) Launceston in Cornwall, Great Britain, it's George Francis. Um, Crossed a gorge to get here tonight, but George Francis is here! I do not understand, but (laughs) (laughs) George is almost... Almost? George, it's almost almost the same same word. But I mean, how is that hyping him up to say that he's crossed a gorge? Yeah, but it was a perilous journey,
1: (laughs) and he's made it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) <laughs> uh, from the Woodlands in Texas In the United States Is Morgan Clark Well,
1: oh, we're out of the Woodlands And into the club <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good Morgan uh, From Robina What? In Queensland <laughs> That doesn't <even> make sense <laughs> <laughs> where, Sorry st- where, Where's this place from? <laughs> from Rabina in Queensland You know her well Because she gave you some books That uh, you've used for book cheat mm-hmm. It is Tegan Longman Well It's been a long night Uh huh but it's also going to be a great night. Yes. Woo, war of the Worlds shout out uh, from Henderson in Nevada in the United States. It's Tiger Lapira. Wow, <laughs> I thought I was a,
1: more of a lion man, but tonight I'm a tiger man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, is their name really Tiger? That's
2: a great name. Yeah. That's fucking badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it even it sounds like Tiger Tiger Lapira. It's great. It's it sounds fun. like it. Yeah, no, it sounds like. <laughs> it, I really thought he was gonna do so. Like <laughs> there was, <laughs> then there was no tiger, and all of a sudden a tiger appear. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's actually good. <laughs> to
0: be fair, you have so much more time to think.
1: Yeah, about also, but... you s- uh, can it, for the people at home. I do not see them written down at all. I just hear the name and react to it. It probably would be better in hindsight if I had it written down in front of me. But anyway.
2: From London in Great Britain, it's Augie M. Augie March.
1: It's Augie March. Augie March. March. Augie March. Right into our club tonight. Yes. Yeah.
2: From Singleton in New South Wales, it's Jonathan Wheelhouse.
1: Well, you're not going to be single too much longer, <laughs> uh, Jonathan Wheel. We- also, he's in our wheelhouse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes I just latch onto yes, the, yes, the yes, place yes. name because it gives <laughs> me that extra... Really one. It gives me one second extra <laughs> you all these great names swing by and you're going off like... Because if I leave it to the name, what happens is if I don't get one, I'm
2: like, well, fuck, now I've got nothing. I've yeah. like got five seconds of silence. <laughs> Woo, wheelhouse, Yeah! <laughs> From, oh, we're on the home stretch here. From Garland in Texas, it's Josh Harmon. Oh, we ain't in Kansas anymore,
1: Judy Garland. Yes, yeah. I was hoping you'd do a Garland.
2: Thank you. From Sacramento in California, it's Jacoby Austin D'Angelo. Oh, Jacoby. Jacoby. <laughs> How yeah, have we gotten that wrong after so long? They call him the Jacoby Bryant of yes. this club. Yes. And the and da- Angel, I always get it all wrong. I've got mucked it all up man. No, I think no, that's right. Jacobi be Angel. Da Angel. Uh, do you want me to do it the other way around, give you more time on the name? Liren Bromberg from Philadelphia in the United States. Fun fact about <laughs> Liren Bromberg. Every now and then, I get a word,
1: a name, or a phrase just stuck in my head. And uh, last year, there was a week where... I- I'd seen Liren comment on something on Patreon and the Facebook group, and throughout the week I just kept thinking, Liren Bromberg, Liren Bromberg, Liren Bromberg's here tonight.
0: If that doesn't yeah. hype you up. You are dead inside. Yeah, got
1: me telling you that. Hey, you are in my I head. I about you. I, I thought about your name a lot for yeah. about a week in mid twenty twenty when Beautiful. everyone was losing their minds. That's so nice. And my thing with Liren Br- Bromberg, Liren Bromberg, it's
2: a great name. I love it. Uh, Richard Lloyd from London, Great Britain.
1: Oh, sorry. I thought it was going to be more there. Uh, Richard Lloyd. Dickie Lloyd. What are we thinking?
0: Um, From London. Yeah, I got...
2: Lloyd's Bank in London.
1: Oh, wow. I felt rich... I thought I was a rich man, but then you came and now I feel even richer. Richard Lloyds Bank. <laughs>
2: <laughs> See, Matt? Have, have, set has, me up there. Has switching it around made it harder? I think it has Okay, up. I'll go back, back to the original. Back. How right. many more we two got? More, two, two more. Two more. From Tom's River, New Jersey, it's Kayla Hodkowitz. 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 Hodkiewicz. Kayla Hodkiewicz. <laughs> uh, Kayla Never fail failer. <laughs> oh, that's hey! Now we're hitting our stride. Should you. we go back to the yes. top? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. start again. Here and we go. And finally, from High Wickham in Western Australia, it is Chris Potts. Uh, this night
1: was going to be Low Wickham, but now it's High Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, what would you have with pots? Anyone? Some pots and pans. Uh, I'm going to make a real racket tonight. Get out the pots. <laughs> now nah, it is hard, isn't yeah.
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Why do we start doing it? Also, it, it is 12.15
2: uh, after midnight. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing this. We're talking to people, oh, it's so late. And they're like, 12.15? We're picturing like 4 a.m. 4 a.m. All of a sudden, you sound like a real virgin. Real
1: virgin. <laughs> well, I did a 10-hour shift today. Got to get up in about... You know, six
2: or seven hours for another 10-hour shift, yeah. so... Uh, oh, <laughs> let's keep... Yeah, right, It's a fair call. <laughs> <girl. laughs> <Lira and> Bromberg! <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, Dave. Beat this baby home. Hey, we've had some laughs, we've had some times, we've learnt about a
1: dark period in history, mm-hmm. but I honestly feel I know a lot more about World War One now. So thank you, Matt, for bringing that to our attention, but we will bring this chapter to a close next week. It'll be either, either myself or maybe Naomi, who knows, we'll be back with another episode... Probably not related to World War One. <laughs> Probably. <So>. No guarantees. <laughs> well, unless Naomi accidentally yeah. picks one. <laughs> that would be if it's amazing. If it's me in charge, I promise it won't be. <laughs> uh, but if you want to get in t- contact with us, you can go to dogoonpod.com and find uh, links to our Patreon, our uh, merchandise, our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, which are all at dogoonpod. And you can also, of course, buy tickets to our live podcasts in March and April. For those. We've got Primates on, s- on sale now that we just announced at the top of the show. Book cheat. Matt's doing a stand-up show. All this that stuff will be linked in the description of this episode. But until next week, I'll say thank you so much. And goodbye. Later. Bye. Bye.
2: Before the first one, you did three b- breaths in without a breathe out. <laughs> did you notice that? <laughs> you were like, because you're about to go, and then you had a thought and you breathed in again. <laughs> and then
1: I uh, passed out. <laughs> uh, i put this at the end. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> I'm thinking about breathing in now.